right, everybody, welcome to the Base Brotherhood. This is episode number eight. This is Alex, a.k.a. Lead Pacer, and I am joined for round number two with Kevin Couchman. Hey, I'm back. You will not be rid of me that easily. You know, it occurs to me the next episode is going to be number nine. Yeah. Number nine. <laughs> number nine. Right? Good. Well, who, I, I, that, that, that'll be interesting. I hope, I hope number nine is good. But this is number eight, and I'm glad to be, glad to be back. Thank you. Glad to have you back for round number two. You did such a great job last time. People oh. love the episodes. Thank you. We actually had to cut it into two parts. Okay. And the feedback has been phenomenal. So we just wanted to take advantage of the fact that you're going to be in Miami a little bit longer before you go back home, and here we are. Yes, indeed, and I appear to have brought the cold weather down from Minnesota because it is chilly. The Miamians are, are dressed up like it's the Iditarod here, yeah, and it's, what, in the mid-50s. It is going to get down into the high 30s, though, and people seem, seem to be freaking out. It seems like it's colder than what you would experience in, like, Ohio or somewhere like that. <laughs> 30 there is like, hey, yeah. this is a warm, wonderful yeah, right. day. Yeah, here right. it's like, oh, my God, you know, here, too. Sure. People are looking for the opportunity to wear their Montclair uh-huh. puffer jacket. I saw that. I you know, or the Loro Piana, yeah. you know, their cashmere. Right. They have all a closet where they can only wear this probably a week a year. I definitely noticed that. People yeah. were trying it on. Yeah, fashion is real in Miami. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So we were uh, talking offline, just kind of riffing to say, hey, let's get this thing started because we're wasting all this good content that people may want to hear. And we were talking a little bit about... Um, you know, the internet and, you know, is the internet going to last forever because everything's moved digital, but you know, at the same time, there's, there's a lot that's been lost. Yeah. Try to find one of those spinning skull flame websites from GeoCities in the nineties. Can you find those? No, I'm not so sure. So it begs the question is, is the internet, this collective hallucination, this mandala that we're creating uh, collectively? I think there's this temptation to think, Oh, everything you put out online, it exists forever. Well, I'm not so sure. It's like tears in the rain. It's like the end of Blade Runner. No, and that's a good point because I I remember Trump, um, you know, back in 2015 and 2016, had so many campaign stops and these great rousing speeches. And it was like a stream of consciousness. It was really like a (laughs) stand-up comedy tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, gosh, there's a couple of them early on. And actually, I think back now how sharp he was back then compared – I mean, he's still very, very good now comparatively – but he was really on his A-game back in like 2015, 2016. And so I'll go on YouTube because I want to show some like, dude, he gave this campaign. Or he was like this fundraiser in New York. And he's like calling people out in the crowd and he's ad-libbing. And, you know, it's, it's crowd work. Yeah, It's he, a comedian he, doing he, crowd whatever work. Whatever you think about Trump, the man knows how to put on a show. He knows how to put on a show better, probably better than anybody. But I, when I go to try to find those clips, uh, I can't find them. Gone. And I don't know if it's because... The search, it's just, uh, where is it on YouTube? This really, it's got to be there somewhere, right? This leads into something I've been thinking a lot about lately in terms of history and how future historians are going to write the history of, let's say, the Trump presidency. Are they going to, they're going to have to do special uh, information requests. Right. I, I don't doubt that these big companies have PhDs on staff who are and lawyers who are forward thinking, thinking about what what does the future look like a hundred years from now, if my descendants, if we make it that far, if we don't end up in a the road situation, right? If the lights stay on for another hundred years, <laughs> which is uh, becoming a yeah, you know, we don't know if that's going to yeah. happen. Did I mention yeah. that my podcast is called Art of Darkness, artofdarkpod.com? So I, I tend to be a little dark, right? Uh, <laughs> if we end up in that scenario, right, like 
none of this will matter. And then it truly will have been this mandala that gets blown away like tears in the rain. But if the lights stay on uh, and and Jeff Bezos allows us <laughs> to, to have access to this <laughs> stuff, like what does it look like? What is what is an information gathering exercise look like 100 years from now? It's going to be fascinating to think about. I have no idea. I'm sure some people who are have a higher pay grade than mine are already thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, well, you know, and I'll, I'll go do Google searches for things, you know, even you know way back before I remember seeing something or reading this article. And I wonder, is it because it just got, you know, my, my keyword search isn't right? Is it lost somewhere? Is that content still available? And so we think it's going to be there for all of time for posterity's sake. And the truth is, it is. It just gets kind of washed out, and maybe yeah. it's it's probably stored somewhere. Yeah. But it's not available to us, and people, you know, everything is memory hold. Yes. So quickly now. Yeah. Um, unless you're bookmarking everything and saving it, which I mean, we don't really have. I don't have the time to do that. Um, you just kind of lose track. For sure. And you well, forget. and these companies are so good at making these these sites appear to be, like I say on Twitter, they make Twitter appear to be some kind of a public square. But you're staring into a funhouse mirror. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's real. They'll disappear a video if they want to. They'll amplify a video if they want to. And it's a black box. We have no clue who's pulling the strings, what the algorithm is doing, who's calling the shots. Everyone kind of knows this, but what to be done? What can be done about it? It is what it is. Right. It yeah. is. It is. And so, you know, what is the future? Who knows, man? I, I, I want to talk a little bit about something we were hitting on earlier, and that was, you know, you were talking about. Uh, your place of residence and really kind of your hometown, you know, in the Twin Cities and talking about the yuppification of everything. Yeah. I was talking about the University of Minnesota and Dinkytown, which is the famous little neighborhood down by the U. Uh, Bob Dylan has that song, is it Positively 4th Street. I think okay. that's what it is. That's 4th Street down in Dinkytown. He spent a year down at the U. Uh, didn't go to class much. <laughs> Bob Dylan. Yeah. Uh, I think it, this is back when he was... Robert Zimmerman, I think. And uh, he may have changed his name at that point. I don't know. But he, he, on paper, he went to the U for a year. But all he ended up doing was stealing a bunch of records from some guy rather famously. I think there's an interview with the guy who was a little... When you say stealing records, do you mean like stealing lyrics? Or no, you mean no, like, like physical like records? vinyl. He, okay. some guy lent him a bunch of vinyl and when when bob skipped town he just took the vinyl i think is the story okay and the the guy there's an interview with him because there's a lot of great bob i mean bob dylan's a great minnesotan uh there's a an interview with a guy who's like in the end i forgave him because i think he needed those records more than i did okay <laughs> it's that's like cool. if bob dylan takes your stuff maybe he, that's yeah, a good but, way to look yeah, at it you're part I mean, you're part of the story you're probably a little salty about losing your records to bob but then he then he becomes uh you know he becomes bob dylan and it's kind of worth it but yeah dinky town is just unrecognizable to a guy who moved there in 2000 it had uh like i was telling you it had a bit of a hate ashbury hippie counterculture vibe there was the punk bar you could get served at no matter what your age was within reason uh all the seats were torn up everything was kind of crazy and edgy there was the the head shop and all of that dude Just you're making you're making me lament the demise yeah. of the di of the dive bar yeah you know actually and this is something I, we're kind of going on a little bit of a non-secular but well, don't fine. worry guys we'll come back yeah yeah so, you know, my parents live in San Antonio, Texas. They live uh, close to um, Sam Houston, you know, the, um, you know, the base right there in kind of central San Antonio. And there's some great dive bars around. Mm -hmm. There was one, it's actually called Ebb Tide. I'll drop a name. There's called Ebb Tide. And it was right off of, uh, of Wurzbach Parkway. 
And I drove by so many times, and I thought, I got to go to that bar because it looks like a classic dive. Yeah. It just got that vibe. I could feel it, you yeah. know? And then I go Google it, and I look at the ratings, and I look at the pictures, and I'm like, you know, the pool tables and all them. I'm like, that's, I got to go there. Every well, square inch of the toilet's covered in graffiti <laughs> that's been covered in other graffiti. Yeah. 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 But I mean, I love a good dive bar. Yeah. And so after, co- you know, COVID hits, and I don't think people fully appreciate you know, these dive bars and right. these, these little yeah. you know, mom and pop shops that got obliterated by COVID. We'll get this. So um, this was probably back, gosh, it wasn't that long ago, but COVID had already been around a year. It's probably like a year ago in the holidays. And I want to go to Ebb Tide. And so I, I drive by and I, there's no cars outside. And this is like, you know, like a Friday night, like this bar should be open. Yeah. And you go walk up to it and you realize it's out of business ah, and it's permanently closed. Nightmare. And so then I had to go look somewhere else, but I just think about like the dive bar experience that we had. That's how one amazing of the, that was. That's one of the things that people in I know in Austin lament how many places started going out of business because those places operate on a razor's edge. It's not easy to run a bar. It's not a, not easy to run a restaurant. It's a low margin business. Yeah, and yeah. you have to. You can't go a year without uh, having any business come through. The last great dive bar that I spent any time in, uh, I was I was being a little bit of a tourist before the great the great coof uh covered the planet mm-hmm. i was in dc there's a great bar in dc that i hope is still there that's in the basement of one of these row homes kind of on the north side of uh dc near the uh one of the colleges i can't remember mm-hmm. the name of the college but it's near one of the historically uh, black colleges and um that neighborhood's being gentrified and yuppified and everything like everything else this bar is called showman's and it's the kind of place you can get you know four bucks beer in a shot during happy hour and these old timers just hang at the bar it's a little tiny cramped bar in the back the whole thing about showman's is wait is it showman's no i'm conflating showman's with well in any case this bar i think i got that name wrong i think showman's might be in new york city it's like a jazz club in any case there's this bar and you can find it on google based on what i'm going to tell you now in pay attention pay attention yeah yeah i'm conflating showman's in new york city and harlem which is a jazz place with this other place. So forgive me for that. But this this place in um, D.C. has a house band called Granny and the Boys. Mm. And if I'm not mistaken, Granny lives upstairs from the bar. And she's a, she's a granny. She's yeah. in her 80s. I hope she's still around. I hope she made it through the plague. And it's her and a bunch of other just hardcore musician types. And they play most every single night and she plays the keys and they play all the old classics they play all the old uh, r&b and the motown and everything that was an experience jeff bezos can't give you that no you're not going to find that on mars that's in america circa 2019 and even if you don't drink or whatever it's like what it's just real there's a vitality in a place like that showman's is also great in new york city that's a great jazz bar in in harlem i got the it's been a few years yeah. but man yeah i know you got and if you have those places you really got to cherish them and cling on cling to them well you need to support them you need to support them i mean like you know people want to go to you know the the new shiny place that every, you know the hot club the hot bar or whatever that you got to pay like you know here in miami you got to play you know, 17, 18 bucks a drink. Then you've got to pay an 18, <laughs> then you got to pay an 18% tip for bad service. I mean, that's the way it goes in Miami. Everybody just kind of, ex- that's, that's what you have to do if you want to go out here. But I think about those dive bars. And when and you think about this too, was, um, you know, the bartender used to be a therapist. People didn't go pay shrinks, 150, $250 an hour to talk about their problems. You used to have 
a bartender. Yes. That you could talk to things oh, about. Oh, please. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I, you know, I, I am. Did you find it? I found it. And it don't tell me it's out of business. Fronted by 87 year old Alice Donahue. The band played for about two hours. So they're talking about uh, this is in April of 2020. And I think it looks like she's still around. I'm going to forgive myself because the, that place appears to be called Showtime. The, no, the well, bar. Well, so Showtime, Showman's. You're very close. Yeah, I was close. Yeah. But yeah, I had to look it up because I, yeah. I, I felt bad. But yeah, all places like that are the best. And live music. Live music. You can't take live music away from people for two years. No. It's, it's not and remain human. No. These screens will never be a surrogate for that. As long as we get together over live music, over theater, over stand-up comedy, yes. that really is actually the thing that makes us human. Well, you're talking about living in the moment where yeah. you can't turn something on. Like there's not a switch that you can hit. You have to be present in that moment. And there's something about that that is very, very hard to find right now. Yeah. And, and the thing is, once you take it away for a couple of years, it's hard to turn back on mm. because people's habits have changed. Right. Their routines are different. Well, but now if you want to become a, a little conspiratorial, well, they're getting what they want. All the tech companies, this made how many more billionaires? 40, 50 new billionaires, mm -hmm. maybe more. And the tech companies, all their value has just been completely inflated. What if it is some sort of a crazy conspiracy to trap us even further inside the black mirror? That's not the, you got to do qui, qui bono, right? Qui, uh, qui bono? Qui, yeah. Uh, sunny bono? <laughs> you too? But you're making me think, you know, if we're, if we're going to go down the, by the way, I have a new term for conspiracy theory. Because, you know, conspiracy, oh, that's just a conspiracy theory whenever you present something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I actually want to start calling it a PAR, which is known as a plausible alternate reality. Okay. So someone says, oh, that's a conspiracy. No, 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 no. This is a plausible alternate reality with plenty of supporting DAX, you know, data and facts to back yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, kind of hit people with that because the other side is really good at coining acronyms and, re and, and parroting the same phraseology sure. over and over again, oh, the yeah, same words. Get you. And it just kind of becomes ingrained in people's psyche. And then all of a sudden they start, there's a public consciousness yeah. around certain words and people just kind of fall in line whenever they're put out there. But... You know, for conspiracy theory, I think they're kind of possible alternate realities. It's we'll come back to the Minneapolis question here, but it's so funny to me that people talk about conspiracy theories as if it's not possible, right? Oh, two people yeah. can't keep a secret, as if that isn't what it's these, a it's a pejorative term. That's what these sure it is, but yeah. it, that that's that's all these big corporations do. They keep secrets. Yeah. They have intellectual property. If you if you give away uh, IP. From like, I'm picking on Bezos a little bit today, but you give away IP from it. Amazon, you are gonna get wrecked. The yeah. the implied threat, they they'll end your life. Okay, so uh, uh, that's just one example. Yeah. So yeah. and of course, what was Epstein? What were they doing? That's a conspiracy. Yes. They were, uh, there's a conspiracy of silence, and it's 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 kept by mutually assured destruction. I know this about you. You know this about me. We wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And the idea that 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 isn't to me, it's like. Not only is that plausible, it's the driving force of most of history. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's human behavior to where, you know, I think there's kind of a selecting process where people are complicit in each other's depravity. Uh, and 
there's kind of, you know, if you're not going to partake in that, and I've actually yeah. kind of had this happen at a different level, yeah. not in like the elite circles. But I'm still in Miami it, for a week, by the way. So I was hoping for a little <laughs> we more. We could get of into that, a lot of trouble over <laughs> no. the next week. Oh, but, no, no, no. But I mean, in terms of what people will do is take you into situations like in a business, you know, context where, you know, you're expected to do something that you wouldn't normally do. And if you don't play ball, yeah, then you're not allowed to go to the next step for sure. That absolutely exists. Yeah. And if you haven't experienced it, then you haven't been doing business all that long mm. because um, it absolutely does happen. And if you're, you're, you're vetted that way, it's a way yeah. of vetting like, hey, and, you know, and I know guys that, <laughs> you know, they have, you know, they're really, they have stronger bonds with people they do business with because they've cheated on their wives together in Cabo. They've gone to strip clubs together and done all kinds of crazy yeah, shit. Yeah. And that actually binds them together way more than people understand. We used to call they it. They live in sin together. We used to call it the underworld. Yeah. And there, there's something to that. There's that great Don DeLillo uh, novel, Underworld, which very famously came out with the, the cover of the church in the front and then the Twin Towers in the back. And it came out right around 9-11, and, which happens to be 2001, the time that I noticed and I don't, I don't think the you know, correlation is not causation, but something happened financially after 2001, in and around 2001, where that neighborhood I, I mentioned, Dinkytown. Dinkytown. I think they got smart and they realized these, well, partly it was the, the light rail. There was a lot of development around this public sewer they call the light rail in the Twin Cities. Right. Uh, that, Sinkhole for cash. I mean, it was just, I mean, it's just such an epic boondoggle. Uh, which is just, it's just not used at all, hardly, and just a, a disaster, and they want to keep expanding it. So a lot of development came up around that. And then, again, I think they, I think capital figured out, capital allocators figured out that these students had a lot of money and a yeah. lot of loan money from the federal government, right. and they were splashing it out. And so all that money comes in, and then these old neighborhoods with these old brownstones and all this character and all these local businesses and characters. We used to have characters in the neighborhood, oddballs. They're mm -hmm. just all gone. They've migrated somewhere else because the neighborhood just becomes unwelcoming and, frankly, uncool. Right. You know, before right. the Starbucks comes in. This is a, I sound like an old man yelling at clouds, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, like, well, ah. And I actually have a theory on this, too. When I look, you know, I'm a huge fan of modern architecture and modern design. When I lived in L.A., I loved driving to the Hollywood Hills, going driving in you know Venice area, Santa oh, sure. Monica, and you see these beautiful structures, and uh, you know they're so well you know well thought out, tastefully done. I mean, places that were just you know paradises. And I think, okay, that's where you want to aspire to go to. But I but a lot of modern design or modern architecture is actually not done right. A lot of it's stark, it's drab, and it's really a way of introducing cheap materials in place of things that are going to be longer lasting, right? Yeah. A lot of it is not well done. And so it's actually, you know, they're able to sell something under the guise of being modern. Like, go live in your little box in your cube. Yeah, yeah. Put on the VR goggles, eat the bugs and like it, you surf. <laughs> you know, that's kind of, yeah, but, but yeah. They're pay, people are paying a premium for this because they're like, oh, this is so nice. This is so great. It's like, guys, this is not really well built. It's certainly not going to be here in 20, 30 years from now. You know what film really seems to do a great job to me of showing how architecture and space and design affects us and mm. kind of almost creates us or we're in this conversation with it constantly the social network 
I think yes. if you go back and watch the social network and you see Zuckerface, uh, <laughs> who who was a boarding school kid, I don't think people realize that about Zuckerface. Uh, he went to one of these super elite boarding schools in the Northeast, like Exeter in New Hampshire or whatnot. You mean he and, didn't have a hard scrabble background and he had to really, <laughs> yeah, you no, know, I don't think there's any pulled him pulled himself up by his bootstraps narrative with uh, with with old Zuck, but. You between that movie and then that understanding of what that whole northeastern boarding school psychotic status obsessed culture. Dude, I don't even know. I, I can't even comprehend what I, that might look like. Sending a right? sending a twelve or thirteen year old away like overnight for most of the year. To me, it's just like my peasant brain. My public. Yeah. I dated a gal in New York who who went to the same boarding school as he did. She was younger, so she wasn't there when he was there. But it's like, and and then to think like you go to that boarding school. That's what you're measured up against, too. These people have this, like, incredible. And they're so they're, like, already having kind of a collegiate-style intensity to their experience when they're, like, 13 or 14. Um, That's not healthy, is it? I don't know that it is. I I can't say either way, but my point about the social network is that it does such a good job of showing you how Fakebook emerged out of this status-obsessed milieu of... Harvard, the boarding school kids, the houses in Harvard, right? Am I going to get into this house or not? And how even the architecture, the way that Harvard looks in the social network, you can see like the boxiness of it. They do mm-hmm. such a good job. I think it was Tarantino, Tarantino who said it was that was the best movie of the decade. It's worth watching again just to watch. You, know, you can even watch it on mute and just to watch like spatially how they set up this reality and how they're making a case with the cinema of the film, the cinematography, the way everything's framed and shot and, and presented. They're making the case that Facebook created him. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like it's like, like the world that he emerged out of well, the, the, is Facebook. Okay. And then he brought that. Yeah. They, they only released Facebook to they only released, do you remember this? They only released Facebook to the Ivy League schools at, at first. Do you right, remember that? Right. What a, what a genius right. move. Because yeah. then, it op- and then it opened up to all the other students. And I think that's when I got my account. It, you had, yeah. I think you had to have like a university account. Talk about no, a you, no, you freaking did. psyop. Yeah. You know, I remember Carl Rove saying one time, he said, you know, there's only 12 colleges in this country. Yeah. 10 or 12, right? which is the Ivies, and yeah. everything else kind of spawns it's, off of that. Stanford, right? there's there's UT Austin, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a little yeah. bias. Yeah, well, the, the, that's the whole thing, too, is that the, you know, the better they want to, the more academic prestige they get, the worse the sports teams are, which that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> well, right? have you, uh, right. UT has it, says it's a vibe. But, um, uh, oh, now it escaped. No, we're talking, no, we're talking, yeah, I, yeah. I thought Jesse Eisenberg did a really good job in the social network. Great but film. I think the thing that I took from that movie and I haven't watched it in a while, was the movie was about him overcoming all of these obstacles. And it actually presented the other, like Eduardo Saverin and the Winklevosses and the people that he had, you know, that, you know, look, I mean, the thing about Zuckerberg is it, it's he's pilfered every idea from somebody else. He's taken it from somewhere, whether, oh, yeah, it's, nothing... whether it's a term metaverse. Sure. That's been talked about in crypto circles and forever. And then all of a sudden he co-ops it, does a two hour long presentation Everybody watches it, and he's defined what changes the metaverse is. Changes the name is. of his company. He changes. Yeah, you go pull up. You can pull up Instagram right now, and it says "brought to you by Meta," not Facebook, right? So he's already laying the groundwork, but he's somebody that's able to, you know, he's a, he's he's synthesized what's going on and find people that can give him what he needs to go build. Now you have to give him credit. 
of for course. being an, he's a, a genius. He's, I'm not, he's an I incredible executor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's a brilliant, brilliant guy. And would the Winklevosses or anybody else have been able to do what he did? No, he's the only guy that could have done it. But there's certainly a trail of tears and a path of destruction and, and angry people that he's left in his wake. And that movie kind of you know humanized him in a sense and made it come off that that was just the way it had to be. Hmm. Um, I don't really know. I mean, personally, I'm pulling for the Winklevosses. Look, they were heavy <laughs> the into Bitcoin. Yeah, the Winklevi, yeah, yeah, yeah. who are heavy into Bitcoin, Ethereum, and they're the guys you know behind Gemini that a lot of people like to use. Um, I'd like to see those guys one day pass Zuckerberg and net worth because, you know, they had to go. They had an idea mm. that you know they had kind of terminated and, and maybe wanted to go develop. He t took it and ran with it. Yeah. And I'd like for the karma police to come in and allow them to uh, surpass him in net worth. Well, uh, w I guess we'll see. I think they'll be fine regardless. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't, don't think th any of these guys are worried about yeah. where their next uh, round of tacos are coming from or whatnot. Yeah, but we, yeah. we, we were talking a little bit. So I, I want to go back to Dinky Town, which we yeah, have Dinky to keep Town. coming back to Dinky Town. Now that I know what Dinky Town is, yeah, I have yeah. to keep repeating it. But I think about... Um, Actually, you know what, guys? We're going to take a real quick break. Oh. We have a mystery guest. Oh. Looks like he's going to be knocking on the door in a minute. So let's hit the pause button. We'll be right back. This is the FBI. <laughs> We're coming from the base, brother. Everybody, the Base Brotherhood is back, and our mystery guest has arrived. Say hello to Village Wellness. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Good to have you here, man. So I, I want to talk a little about something. This is a guy that's really been pissing me off recently. It's a nomad capitalist guy that's trying to get people to like move to these other developing world countries and. You know, he basically has a channel just bashing America and bashing the West, and it's so awful, and I can't stand this shit. And so uh, I want to ask you guys a question here. Digital nomadism in a world of COVID, is there a place for it? Is it real? Is it something that we should be trying to do? Ooh. I think it's a PSYOP funded by that Hindu cunt Hamach, or whatever <laughs> you pronounce his name. All right. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the whole We're going right to the psyops. Yeah. The okay, <laughs> everything is a psyop. Okay. All yeah. Right. So the yeah. context, the context of this show, <laughs> is is this guy, you know, says he appeals to seven and eight figure entrepreneurs. All right. Ugh. And he and he never talks about his business model in terms of what he charges people. So he's got a YouTube channel. Mm. It's closing in on half a million people. All right. And he, so he just bashes America and he's an American. Huh. Uh, you got to You got to watch this channel. Okay. Cause yeah. Cause I'm not familiar with this guy. So I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Me yeah, yeah. 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 Well, you Wait, know, sorry. Now are we talking about seven and eight figure entrepreneurs who inherited that money from mom and dad and, and LARP online? Are we talking about people who built those businesses? <laughs> are we talking about people who built a or a bot Ethereum three years ago and they call themselves these entrepreneurs? What does that mean? Okay. Cause I think a lot of what it is, he tries to appeal to the crypto crowd. Yeah. Quite a bit. Sure. And of course, when crypto's not doing so well, that kind of changes the context. That's a really good question because if you built a business in the United States or wherever you built a business, how easily are you going to be able to uproot yourself and go move to another country in the Caribbean or South America or Central Eastern Europe, East Asia, 
That's a freaking formidable task, right? It sounds to me like a young person's game. If I was in my early 20s, possibly, I might consider it just for the experience. But as a, as a fellow with, with kids and another kid on the way and everything, the, the, the children, they do tend to need to be rooted in a place. Right. You can't, you can't drag a kid into a new Airbnb every three months and expect them to have uh, anything like a childhood. That's my take on it. Yeah, I, total, uh, I totally agree. So it's something that's for like single people or newly married, don't have any kids where they're able to do something like this. Yeah. And it's kind of, and I, and I watched the channel and it's like, okay, what about also, what if you're someone that doesn't want to take the jab? Oh, right. That's going to limit your options substantially, which is something the guy never talks about, right? Mm. Well, I don't know the guy, but it, I mean, it sounds like he's a grift. It's a grift of some sort, correct? Right. Well, see, I, I think it's more of an America bashing channel ah. where he's trying to get YouTube revenue. Hmm. And I'm interested, how much money does this guy make from YouTube revenue versus his actual business? Because to me, it looks like he's spending a lot of time creating videos. And yeah, selling yeah. this business, right? But I'd like to see the split and how much money he's actually making. Yeah, lift, lift the skirt. Tell us what's up. I think that a lot of these seven, six figure sales lead gen guys, if they were really good at sales, they'd be too busy doing sales and putting big sales together right. to sell you these nonsense courses. I think a lot of it's fugazi, fugazi. Yeah. Uh, and maybe like, like our friend here says, maybe there is an element of maybe he's funded by some American bashing operation. I don't know. Yeah, who come move to China. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. No, I've hit this guy with questions a couple of times. A question he read recently was I was asking, okay, dude, you know, you're, you're bashing on America. Yeah. But where else is there a 330 million population country that's English speaking, that's got such a large economy and so many opportunities? Where can you replicate that someplace else easily? Give me one country. Give I, me an example. I, I assume you're you're running your business and you're continuing to do business in the West, even though you're wired up in Costa Rica or whatnot. Right. So I get it. Like if you want to travel the world and you're young and you want to be mobile and see the world and everything, go for it. But it doesn't have to come. I mean, it's the easiest thing in the world right now to, to bash the great Satan. It's, yeah. it's easy to do. Yeah. It's a really low lift, right? But what, what happens... What happens if America falls to pieces and all the good people leave and all the entrepreneurs uproot and go somewhere else? It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Right. So I, I don't know. Yeah. And I think we're still a ways away from that, you mm -hmm. know, because, I, again, I don't know other places that are as entrepreneurially friendly as here. I think over time you may see a change. I, I misspoke earlier. The yeah. Great Satan Inc. The Great Satan Inc. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So no, this, this is a channel that I, I, again, I, I, I think there's some, you know, educational things about it. It is interesting, but I think it's really just a big America bash fest. And I don't think it makes sense for the, the people I know that have real means. And we're talking beyond eight figures. We're talking into nine figures and up. Yeah. They're not looking to leave the United States. Mm. Right. It's just not happening. They're putting money in the real estate here. They're trying to come here i mean everybody i i guess i mean i well we live I mean, in we, we're here in miami yeah i mean where does everybody want to be right now all throughout the world where do people want to be in like latin america where do people want to be in europe where do people in russia want to be they want to be here in miami there's a reason for that mm. and it's also there's a dynamism here that exists in america that can't be replicated someplace else so you know i've thought about this like okay let's say you want to go move to a smaller country and kind of live that quiet life or whatever a lot of people do this. 
they'll go to Panama, they'll go somewhere in Europe. And what they find is the pace is entirely different and it feels okay for a while. There's an old, there's an old saying, don't mistake tourism for immigration. Okay. Yeah. So you go to a place and you think, oh, this is great. I want to move here. But you've lived there for a couple of years and like, wait a second. Where are the ambitious, motivated people? Where are the extremes that America provides? Where are the conversations about all these different topics, the kind of things we're talking about right now? I think America is a really unique place for that. Yeah. And me personally, I'd rather stay here and deal with all the uncertainty and work through it mm. than I would go somewhere else and think that it's going to be a better situation. The grass is not always greener, my friends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, I mean, if I did it, I would have to go full McAfee. I'd have to be a warlord. <laughs> You'd be going to down to Belize. Yeah. yeah. I just would go that hard. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to go find where they're hiding Epstein. And crypto makes it possible, folks. <laughs> right. No, no. Crypto. Did, no, we need lots of regulation for crypto. I'm happy to pay my taxes. All right. So let's, <laughs> on the record. All right. So let's well, let, let's kind of pivot a little bit. Yeah. And I want to talk about something that just hit the wire yesterday. And that was about, I think, a bill has been proposed in Arizona where Arizona would accept Bitcoin as legal tender. I think there was something out of Colorado. And too. Texas is trying to do that, too. Texas is trying to do that, too. So, guys, what, let, let's kind of read the tea leaves here. What does this say to us, right? I think it shows that forward-thinking politicians and people in these states realize the dollar is nearing its expiration date, right? But what it also shows us is that, you know, currently any kind of sale of crypto is a capital gains tax. It could be short-term or it could be long-term, right? But if we're going to be using Bitcoin as legal tender, I think that shows that those states would be willing to push back against the federal government in terms of it's just going to be used as currency and there's not going to be any tax associated with it. And that, to me, is a really important line in the sand. And so whenever you see that happen here, and we see it you know, going on right now here in Miami with, with Mayor Suarez, who's getting paid in Bitcoin... And no know, one hopped on that crypto bandwagon faster than his uh, bitch ass. No. <laughs> well, really? What do you think that's all about? Because he is because because I mean, look, he gets a lot of credit for it. Now, listen, the guy's like sitting on boards and he's kind of, you know, looking to make a lot of money along the way. Meanwhile, we have trash his, his dad. His dad was a government leech city of Miami and Miami Dade. He's the same thing. He's not going to do anything pent up new or different he's simply hopping on this banner at wagon uh because his approval rating was tanking was going down the tubes no one no one thought he was doing anything he was i don't know if anyone remembers this but as soon as when the scamdemic came <laughs> in march 2020 he was the biggest advocate for masks really for lockdowns for are you serious bullshit vaccine shit he was the number one spokesperson in south florida for this scamdemic hoax and look where the fuck he is now he's trying to act like he's some completely new changed oh so sophisticated entrepreneurial he's 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 just he's another political prostitute well no different and he's only five foot seven so 
<laughs> and a manlet. Yeah. yeah, he's a fucking manlet. Politics yeah. is uh, show business for ugly people. Go move back to Homestead. I say this: something. he is he, he is a relatively handsome guy. Got oh, a little okay. bit I take of credit. That. I'm like, not yeah. uh, not speaking but, about but, but, anybody but, but, but then again, you could be say that if you're like you know five he's foot seven, it may not he's matter a how handsome whore you are. Just like his dad, his dad was a huge whore. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, well, I'm getting on a plane leaving Miami shortly, so this is all right. Nah, he needs to get the fuck out of Miami, not me. Yeah. No, but um, you know, I think about um, you know, like the, the the state of Miami and what's going on here right now. We have a lot of people moving in, you know, property values are going up, so a lot of people are happy with that. But of course, if you're looking to buy in, it's getting all the more expensive. But when I look at the up. maintenance of the city of Miami, mm. in terms of what's going on with the roads, you know, I we we walk to the gym over here, you know, in Wynwood, right? Like yeah. it's about a fifteen minute walk. And I got to be honest with you guys, there's a lot of issues with homelessness hmm. and people walking around that are totally zonked out. Sure. I mean, who knows what they're on? Yeah. And it's not a walk that I would want my significant other to be making on their own. It would be cool for a mayor of Miami to come in and really emphasize walkability would be a, a serious move. I think what's happening with these these various uh, cities and, and states is that they're looking for that first mover advantage in terms of crypto friendliness because there's this incredible migration of, of the young right, right now away from these states that are showing themselves to be more or less like failed states. You don't want to live there anymore. What's the tax rate in California for what you get? Well, they're and doubling that, it now. Yeah, it's out. It's just absolutely outrageous. We're going to go over 60% with federal and state combined in California. Unreal. Right. Unreal. So and how I, do you survive right. in a place like that? I mean, that? and I'd like to know, I mean, plus if you're making crypto gains, why do you want another 15% to go, uh, to go to California if you bet on the right puppy meme coin right why should you why should california get any more of that money it's yeah why ridiculous. why should you give that shit to gavin newsom why well by the way guys i've, I've lived in california right. i, I lived real. in california a couple years and they will aggressively like if you think the irs as an agency is aggressive in pursuing people it's nothing compared to the state of california wow if you even touch down there and rented a place like if you rented a place for any period of time maybe it's like a three-month six-month rental and that, you know, you've changed your mailing address to the state of California. Yeah. Their tax agency will come after you aggressively. I actually had this happen. I didn't even live there a year. I was there for, for maybe about 10 months on and off. Sure. And I remember my accountant at the time had to send a letter to the state of California saying, hey, this guy's not a resident. He's just here on temporary business. And But we had to fight him on it. And it how, was not easy. How much do you think they love forcing everybody to sign in on an app when they land for the vaccination for COVID? You're checking oh. They love that. Yeah. I mean, this is this is Soviet America. Yeah, it's a wet dream. Yeah. yeah, they love it. They know where you are. They can track you. You're in. Yeah, it's wild, man. It's well, all about that almighty dollar. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about that. So, you know, one of my favorite movies, we talked about it earlier, is uh, the movie with Brad Pitt, Killing Them Softly. It's made in 2012. Right. It was kind of an underrated movie. There's a great scene at the very end of it where Brad Pitt is, um, you know, his character is getting settling up. He's he's basically a hitman for hire. Yeah, yeah. And you know he took out three, you know, three guys. I've seen that. He's supposed to get 15k a piece, and the guy is trying to give him 10 because he's saying that that's the guy he replaced. That was his rate. Less than a third of a Bitcoin for each head. Yeah. <laughs> I think about it now. I'm like, man, this is pretty tense stuff for not a lot of money. You know, like in 2012, even yeah, that's, that's like, that's wow. Yeah, the yeah. pre-inflation. Hey, kids, remember that was when uh, you could actually kill people for not that much. <laughs> you just, can, you just can. imagine Brad Pitt the hitman. Oh, fuck me. Yeah. Really, he's been smoking a lot of cigarettes. 
Pay me in Doge. <laughs> Pay me in Doge. <laughs> I'll take Shib if you need, yeah. need it. Yeah, exactly. He's a shit coiner, but yeah, yeah. No, but in the movie, he, there's a great, there's a great line. It's about a five minute scene where he tells the guy, he said, you know, America is not a country; it's just a business. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, you know, it was so um, cynical at the time. And you're like, oh no. And he was listening to Obama talking about communities and all the things America has to do. And he was just totally not going for it. He's like, this is a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. In America, you're on your own. Yeah, I remember that. And it, it, was, it was powerful. I encourage everybody to go watch it. You'll find it on YouTube pretty easily. But is America a country or a business from your perspective? Are you looking at me? Yeah, it's, like, I mean, it's like a tax farm or oh some shit. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, if I, I, I've, this isn't anything I haven't said on the Bird website already, but I think it's a plantation and we are the product. Yeah. yeah, it's like a tax plantation. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, and so we're, we're wage slaves that are basically funding these um, politicians and large and corporations. And these globalist neoliberal operations. Yeah, yeah. I and are we supposed? And, and mm -hmm. why? And here's the deal: mm -hmm. why are we? Why are people still going for it? Oh, well, you can't, because can't everyone leave. is so calcified and so fluoridated. Up the fucking <laughs> ass. <laughs> yeah, my pineal gland has like been a, calcified. Yeah, exactly. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's the case, and it's very hard to leave. Uh, think about McAfee. He, when he said, "I'm never paying another dime uh, of, of income taxes," that was uh, that was a line in the sand. Try and leave. You you have to uh, disavow your citizenship for for right. the average mall walker in Minnesota or Nebraska. This is so far out of the realm of possibility. People are tied in with their families. People have responsibilities. One of our things that we look at on the podcast that I do, the Art of Darkness podcast, artofdarkpod.com, we do these biographies of, of people, creative people. And one of the episodes we did with the great Blauergeist, who's a personality on, on Twitter, he probably just woke up from a nap. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen. Hey, Blauer guys. Yeah, Blauer. Yeah, yeah. He, he's got a great GIF game. Every time he wakes up from a nap, he posts something from the Wolf of Wall Street. It's very funny. Um, but we did Walt Disney. And you dig into Disney, not even really deeply, and you realize just how, how, how far down the rabbit hole goes in terms of finance and business and the revolving door between corporations and the government. The corporations may as well be the government. Disney might as well be a branch of, of government. And it has been for a long time. It produced the majority of the propaganda films for the United, United States during World War II. This goes way, way back. So one of the things that I wonder about, and it's, a, again, a recurring theme on that show, when it comes up, only comes up on episodes where we're talking about somebody like Disney, but we'll do Ford and others eventually. Um, it's this idea of like, we're trapped in this idea that it's all about money. Like I even said it earlier, it's all about the almighty dollar. But when I say that, I don't mean it the way that like a normie does who's trying to make rent or like uh, me, we're all trying to make rent. It hasn't been about the dollar for a lot of these companies and a lot of these people for a very, very long time. They're playing on some other level right. of financialization. It's about power. It's about power. Yeah. 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 And I think that's something, again, you know, trying to explain this. And that's one of the things we want to do with the show is really help educate people and bring interesting guests in and talk about these things to where they start to can, you know, because they're just not exposed to a lot of this information. Right. And, and I've noticed there's a real generational divide with the type of content people are consuming. And, you know, talking with my folks a little bit about the last couple of years and with COVID. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're, they have a different belief system than I do. Sure. In, in kind of what this is all about. And over time, I think they've started to really understand. Yeah. It's taken them a little bit longer, whereas we kind of knew right away that this was 
this what? was this was something sinister, something yeah. different, something overblown and how it was being sold to us. And what I told them was, look, we are just consuming different sources of information. Mm-hmm. Like they they watch legacy media, they flip on Fox News. They like they, to watch Colbert, Trevor Noah, M- Bill Maher, all that. N- not them, but I, you're making a basic good point. bitch shit. I want to ask I want to ask you a question about this. This really gets my fucking goat. Mm. Is that whenever Bill Maher or Barry Weiss, they say something remotely edgy, like a little edgy. Like everyone maybe loses they're their. They're starting to get it, and the right goes, "Yay, Bill Maher." He's really going after the woke people. Yay. Yeah, most of those New York Republicans are, are guilty of that shit because I know a lot of, they call themselves so, like, right. So Rockefeller Republicans. Oh, yeah, whatever. But yeah. they're like, yeah, I, I, I uh, voted for Trump. But you know what? I voted for Eric Adams also for mayor. And, and then they think that this new Democrat's going to do uh, any bullshit. Well, listen, I, I've got I've got a brother in Portland. And, like, and he's and he's kind of come around a little bit over the last few years, and he's got some friends that are a little bit more right leaning uh. that are coming around. But the options in Portland are so bad. <laughs> yeah. What's the guy's name? What's I can't remember his name right now. Ted Wheeler. Ted Wheeler was running against this lady that was like basically an Antifa apologist. Right. And you know they're both two Democrats, and one of them's like really to the left and the other one's way way left it's minneapolis and so like they that. have to vote for somebody like ted wheeler because they're like he's basically a republican or a conservative within the context of how crazy portland has gotten yeah is that what's similar well, something similar in, similar minneapolis? in minneapolis yeah the progressives have taken over and uh yeah they they call conservatism conservative uh, yeah in in the united states is progressivism going the speed limit right yeah we're just trying to pump the brakes on this inevitable force like right, like Yarvin. Uh, is it Yarvin or is it? Uh, yeah, Nick Curtis Land? Yarvin. Yeah, awesome. Land talks about Mincius Moldbug or whatever. Cthulhu only swims left. Right. <laughs> so there's no and there's no putting these genies back in the bottle after they come out. Like yeah. when are we? When do the masks come off the service workers? Is there a metric for that? Do we know when that's going to happen? No, I mean when no is clue. It? I haven't even heard anything about that shit. Yeah, you would think that the Party of Labor, the so-called left in the United States, would have a very clear measure of when this stuff comes off so we could know what we're looking for, what we're working for. They don't. Of course they don't. That's the other thing I say on the Berg web- website. American liberalism is vaporware. The It never <laughs> arrives. It, it never arrives. It's and a I, ghost chain. Yeah, I, yeah. Look, it's software. They keep selling it to you. The upgrade never comes. And I grew up, I was a, you know, when I was, grew up, I grew up with school teachers in North Dakota. So I, we, we thought I was a Democrat coming out. I voted for Obama the first time. Not the second time, but yeah. Did you vote for Romney the second time? Um, I, I I may have sat that one out. You know what? Yeah. I'm actually going to get in some trouble. Okay. But that's that's fine. I have no problem with it. <laughs> the first time I could vote was in 2004. And so I voted for Bush because I thought that um, he had some knowledge on why we should have gone into Iraq and Afghanistan. Right. And Kerry. He's already there. Remember the whole like gunboat thing yeah. and all this? and. I, and I just thought, okay, I'm not a cr- crazy about this Bush guy, yeah, but maybe he has some information and why all this makes sense. So let's see him clean up his mess. Right. It probably would have people, been like voting for LBJ. I think right? a lot of people had that attitude yeah. during that election. He stole that first one fair and square. Let's let him, let's <laughs> let him have this have yeah. the second term. Yeah. So I, I, I voted and then everything fell to crap, you know, in the last couple of years of his presidency. I mean, the 2008 yeah, I financial crash. 
And then you have McCain and Palin against uh, you know, Obama. <laughs> oh, man, I hadn't, and, and I hadn't I, thought against about Bathhouse Barry, yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> Larry Sinclair. But then I, I, I ended up voting for Obama because I thought, okay, this guy's probably full of crap. Yeah. But if he comes through on even half of what he says, it's the right. I, I was tempted to go vote in Nader Gonzalez, third party, because I thought McC- McCain, remember he suspended his campaign when the financial crisis happened, which he, he had no clue what he was doing. Yeah. Palin was political gimmickry. I've since come to appreciate Palin more. Yeah. But she's still not a great pick. And right. so anyway, I've ended up voting for Obama thinking, OK, if this guy's reasonably competent, then you know, I wish him the best. But it well, wasn't it wasn't like. I was a high conviction Obamaite. Like this guy's going to change the world, like let's, all the other Kool Aid drinkers. Let's not forget the rush that it was to see Hillary lose that nomination. Yeah. What joy, what thrill there was uh, at that time to see that. Because I think Americans at that point were kind of done with dynastic politics for a little bit. Yeah. And Clinton, Clinton, Bush, Bush. Uh, you know, people were just like, "Are we wait? We're going back to Clinton now? Get out of here!" Right. What is right. this? Yeah. Medieval. Yeah. I mean, she medieval. had that. She had that one in the bag, but he was kind of an unstoppable force. This is the Iraq vote. Yeah, and he had, he had an he had an incredible ability of speaking with you know superlatives and in hyperbole in a way where none of it meant anything. Again, it was all like <laughs> yeah. it was Hope. all vapor. It was a ghost chain. It was Hope. just totally vaporware. Yeah, it didn't mean anything. Well, the thing I say about him, he could literally get in front of you yeah. know an audience yeah. and talk for an hour yeah. and give the best scripted speech. He knew how to look out over everybody's head yep. and kind of hold his head up in this aristocratic way yes. and hold himself like he's this dignified person. Right. And people just loved it. I remember thinking there's nothing he says means anything. Don't throw any shade on that man's name because the, the great American empire, the great business, America Inc., Barack Obama is and probably will always be the greatest insurance salesman of all time. Okay. Passing passing that healthcare law, kicking yeah. the can no. further yes. down the road. Yes, thank you. Keeping the system in place. Yeah. So bad for the American middle class. So terrible bad for, for entrepreneurs. Em- terrible for self-employed people yep. because I mean, I was affected by that. He used his political capital to pass this horribly uh unpopular law. He was so distasteful. And to kick the can down the road. It if if it feels like they're strip mining America for parts, you're not too far away from the truth, I think. And the healthcare is at the heart of that. Yeah. The thing I say is like Americans are much more likely to be microchipped uh, and to be forced into having injections before we'll ever see anything like single payer or or a universal healthcare on the national level. Yeah, and, and I I, I want to come back to that <laughs> in, in right. terms of kind of being forced into these things because I I, I was like you. I set out twenty twelve. I thought Romney was a plastic man. I couldn't stand him, mm-hmm. but I couldn't vote for Obama again. And then the last couple of times I, I uh, you know, voted for Trump and I was enthusiastic about it the first time and second time. And now we're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute in terms of what's coming up in 2024 and who's going to emerge there, who's the right choice. But um, I think you're right about Americans are, you know, really, we're like trained dogs, a lot of us. And, you know, I, I think about what's going on in Canada, right? Okay, look at Europe and what's going on with people, you know, rioting in the city center. Yeah. Or, or, you know, protesting and sometimes rioting, but really pushing back. These people don't have guns. Yeah, nothing's they're literally out there nothing. putting their bodies and lives on the line, but they have the, but they're doing it. They're doing it in Austria. They're doing it in, in, um, you know, in, in France and in Germany and Switzerland. You see these people protesting. Yeah. We don't do anything here. There's nothing. No one does anything. In Canada right now, they've got 16,000 truckers 
dozens of miles long driving to Ottawa where Trudeau's hiding out. No one knows where he is tonight. But they're literally putting, like, the whole supply chain's being disrupted. Why doesn't this happen in America? What are we doing? I mean, are we just, are we that, are we that naive? Well, are we that complacent? We're, we're not, how do you say, in America, we, we haven't really had all of our freedoms stripped at once like Canada did. That's a good point. Canada, That's every really everywhere point. in Canada is vax passport, right? Bullshit test, whatever. You got to have some health minister fucker come with you into a store, yeah. To see you won't. No, that's a good point. You you got to have somebody you know? actually accompany you into a grocery store to buy certain staples. You're only allowed to certain areas of the store to actually be able to buy this stuff in like in Quebec right now. Unreal. And so you think about how so they don't really have any other choice. Whereas in America. We do have the Second Amendment, you know. We we, we yeah. Come and take it. Yeah, and, and we you, you also could choose to drive wherever you want. I think yeah. before Canada, I think they closed down the state borders for a little a while. The yeah. provinces, uh, they yeah, closed the down the borders. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's a Canada's a shit show. It is Canada, Australia, places like that, New Zealand. I mean, they just seem beyond any kind of help. I don't know a what any anywhere doing. that used to be governed by the. The, the reptilian Empire. British monarchy. Yeah, is, the, uh, going the entire Anglosphere is taking it, taking it badly. People right forget now. Yeah. that the Allies in World War II fought on the same side as the Soviets. It's the it, it, for what that's worth, and mm -hmm. that's not. I'm not running cover for the other side. There were no good actors. Great book. This is one that Yarvin recommends to read. On that, read Human Smoke. Human Smoke. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the Make author. Make a note of it, guys. Quite quite famous, and it's it reads like a novel. And it's like a, past, a pastiche thing where he takes you through the run-up to the beginning of World War II with little paragraph, two paragraphs, sometimes a page and a half, little vignettes. And he moves you around the globe mm -hmm. with, with an emphasis coming back to the anti-war protesters in, in the United States quite often. But he moves you around the globe to this meeting, to that meeting, to this going on. And it's, it ha again, it reads like a novel. It's riveting because you know where it's leading. And so you know the ending before you get there, but it, it completely opens your eyes and reminds you what a bad actor the British Empire was, um, among other things. Well, that's a very compelling book to where you know what the destination may be. Yeah. And you're so riveted by the material where you're going to participate all the way to the end of the book. You know it's where just it's such go. a fascinating uh, conceptual structure. Moves yeah. you around the world, shows you a little thing, and then it's with contrast, right? So you'll be... In India, something's happening in India because they were fighting for their freedom and all the rest of it. And then you'll move to Germany and what's happening in Germany. And then you'll move to Russia. But again, that whole thing about us being on the same us, I say us, right? Like right. I don't have anything to do with any of this. Um, the, the United States and the Brits being on the side of the Soviets. I brought this up on the last episode that we did together. Philip K. Dick uh, in Radio Free Albemuth, that novel, he had the insight in that novel that the Soviet Union and the United States were, made, were one. We're as one. And now in America, we see the, the genesis or, or the, the emergence, rather, of Soviet America. They call it the Long March. They marched through all the institutions. They took over the universities. They planted themselves in as mayors of major cities. I mean, hell, uh, the, the great-granddaughter of Trotsky, who grew up in Trotsky's house in Coyacan, in Mexico City, is the director of drug policy at the NIH, you can look this up. Trotsky's yeah. granddaughter, NIH. Now, that's just one example. This goes mm -hmm. so deep, and they have sprung their trap. 
the the Wu flu, the hoax flu, is their big moment to spring this Soviet trap. They controlled public education. They've it's called the Long March. None of this stuff is like original. But but this is what's this is something that this is an important point. This is all public knowledge. Yeah, there. This is not something that's being hidden from people. Why are so many Americans not privy to it? I mean, here's the thing: you have to. I, be I blame the guy. food. The food is so nutrient deficient. <laughs> I guess no one has the subsequent minerals or uh, <laughs> or or whatever life force in their brain to to make the crucial uh, connections. It's yeah. a nutrient poor country. I really, I actually, we're agree. the most yeah. filthy nutrient uh, deficient. It's the, really the most disgusting. A contaminated food supply. It's a fucking disgrace. Well, the, the, that the, shit makes me embarrassed to be American. This is an anti-seed yeah. oil podcast. Okay, right. so yeah. listen, yeah. I, I want Village Wellness to talk more about yeah. this because he's a guy that he's a man of culture. You know, he is he has traveled. He calls Miami home, but he spent a lot of time in Switzerland. And we talked about this. We actually met on Twitter. You know, when when you look, he's I, he was a Swiss entrepreneur. I've got a friend in Zurich. And, you know, he liked my tweets. I liked the things he was posting, a very pent up, to use his words. And I uh, reached out to him. I said, hey, how's everything going in Switzerland? You know, several months back, he said, I actually live in Miami Beach. I said, you got to be kidding me. And so we met a couple nights later. We've been great friends ever since. But, you know, he would rather be in Switzerland right now if they weren't, if they hadn't gone COVID batshit crazy. And yeah, really. he talks about, you know, the food in Switzerland is just of superior quality. Tell us a little it's bit not, more about that. It's not that. even close. It's like here is fucking the same quality food you would get here in a grocery store or wherever. It would be the same quality if you could go to a gas station in Switzerland is the same yeah. type of food. It's fucking abysmal. Yeah. Like here, all the agriculture, all the meats, all the food is fucking run by corporations in America. Yeah. It's all and Europe has laws that prohibit GMOs, correct? I mean, yeah, GMOs, fluoride, the seed oil bullshit. Everywhere, in, all the people in Switzerland look down upon America, and, and they know it's like a stereotypical thing for America. Yeah, that place has shit food. It's dirty, poor quality, overpriced, um, overrated. And it's all run by fucking technocrats like Bill Gates who, who grow all the potatoes for McDonald's. Shit like that, where is largest we have landowner in America now and continues to buy up land. I saw a recent article, and then you you have the, are their own fucking U.S. government subsidizing all the pesticides and herbicides, all the companies that make those satanic fucking chemicals that spray <laughs> on our plants and food, and, and eventually go down in the soil, and you could even say it could go down to the water supply if you want to go in the. No, there's there's the, the hot uh, springs or yeah you're hitting on there's there's actually a great documentary that talks but, a little yeah, bit long, about long Monsanto story. yeah yeah and it talks about how Monsanto you know with their GMO seeds they I don't know how the hell they do this I haven't watched a documentary in a while you're talking about the patents on the seeds the patents on yeah. the seeds so if the wind carries seeds into another farmer's field and that crop grows all of a sudden he's in big shit yeah, yeah. so I mean if there's any kind of a spillover just through nature. Then that all of a sudden, well, you know, he's growing a seed him that he's not allowed to be growing, mm -hmm. and he had nothing to do with it. And the same shit libs who are all against GMOs are willing to turn themselves into GMOs and their children into GMOs with this shot too. Oh. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's gene therapy. 
let's call it what it is. You're, if you've taken the shot, you are now a genetic, genetically modified organism. You're a right. fucking guinea pig. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, there, there's, there's some people that when they hear this, yeah. what we're saying right now, sure. they're mad at us for presenting this information. Mm-hmm. Good. They don't want to know about it. So uh, what message do you have to those people? You don't have to listen. Nobody's forcing you. You need to seek alternative sources of information. Yeah, I would just say keep looking, right? Yeah, yeah keep digging. Keep yeah. on digging. Yeah. I mean, look at look at the world around you and ask, are things getting better? And our friend here, Village Village Wellness. Village uh, Wellness. Village Wellness, telling you the truth about the food quality in the United States. I, visit Mexico. I yeah, Mexico to, is... Great food. Yeah. Yep. And to, I mean, they have Less they have a they have a problem with obesity as well, the Mexicans. But they like sweets and. Well, things. that's a lot of it. Is we we've exported our brands. Yeah, I mean, sure. one thing I don't think people, when you travel a little bit and you go to places like Mexico or you know Lebanon, uh, where my wife is from, you see the proliferation of American brands, and particularly in Mexico. I mean, even more so than Lebanon, but in Mexico, I mean, it's Coca Cola country. Yeah. I mean, people drink Coca like over here. I don't see people drinking sodas, you know, at at, you know, out to dinner. I mean, people drink water or tea or maybe alcohol of some kind, but they drink like the red can soda all the time yeah. in, in Mexico. If any of this was about health, it would have been handled so many different ways. It's almost a cliche to say now on this side of things. But I'll say it. They they kept the liquor stores open. They closed churches and gyms. Yeah. This is America. Yeah, this, they closed. I'm, I li- went from New York City to Minnesota. The churches were closed. The liquor stores were open. This is America. What is going on? It's so much fear. The product is fear because that's how they control you. And our friend is right about the food. You really have to go out of your way to eat well and to stay healthy in this. You country. have to make a monumental yeah. effort. And I've spent. It shouldn't a- be that way. It should, no, it should be the default that healthy food. I mean, you want to you want to know something that got me triggered on Twitter that actually got me a twelve hour suspension recently, which doesn't happen to me on Maine. Like I'm a I'm a face cut you know uh, account. I'm not a blue check. I'll never be a blue check because I'm I'm never going to apply for it. But uh, the, you have to apply for it. You have to request it. Yeah, yeah. You have to. You've never requested a blue check? No, no. Oh, well, then you're, yeah, you're never going to get your blue check if you don't well, apply. But, ba- you know, judging the content of this podcast, yeah, I think maybe, it's not going to work. Yeah, better not to. <laughs> yeah, stay off their radar. We're, gonna, we're not going to be going blue check but here. There was that dad yeah. in uh, upstate New York who showed pictures of his kids' school lunch, lunches oh. that went around, and it was absolutely disgusting. I remember oh. you tweeting this, and it triggered me so hard because that was my childhood. Right. I remember that, mm. and. The square piece of pizza. The resentment that I have still. And people will, see, this is the thing about Americans. Some some people go, ah, this guy is still hung up. It's like, yeah, I am. I'm hung up about that. Those are my, those are, that was my youth. And the adults in the room deemed it appropriate to feed us this gulag slop for (laughs) for decades. And then also, and my parents were teachers. Real shit. And yeah, man. And then also gripe about how the kids were misbehaving. And so it's like, you got these, these wild kids in the Dakotas in the 80s. And suddenly all the boys have behavioral problems and everybody's talking about what drug they're on. And then lunch is completely nothing. It's vile filth. Right. Yeah. You would, you'd feed it to prisoners maybe. Right. And then they, and then they're trying to shove math into our heads and wondering why uh, Columbine happens and whatever else. <laughs> oh, yo, real talk. Real talk. Yeah. Yo, I mean, I'm not, you know, wouldn't, yeah. I apologize for the violence. Yeah. is not the way per se, but like, man, feed the damn kids. It was an outrage. And when I think it triggered me so much, I said on Twitter, the adults responsible for this should be hanged. And they, they came at me and gave me 12 hours. And, I, you know, I'll, I'll, a little bit of hyperbole is good, but it is absolutely. And these are the people who, who will then 
go on, you know, politically and spout every platitude about the kids are our future and we need to look after our kids. These are the people who want to run healthcare. Look what they feed the kids. And they make the poor kids wake up early for what? For what? They're like depriving them of their sleep. They have to wake up early to go on some shit school bus. <laughs> That's for, a for what? To These learn what? These schools look like prisons for a reason, guys. Yes. You notice yeah. all the new schools and the way they're, you know, the, the architecture and the way they're constructed. All that brutalism I shit. Mean, no, yeah. they, they look like prison. I've seen prisons that look better than this. Ugh. I had a job at a video store in my hometown and the video store had a printer uh, and that, that I just hijacked. I think I brought some paper in, but that was it. And I printed like 500 pamphlets comparing... American public schools to the prison system. Mm -hmm. And I gave them to all my, my friends and our little gang uh, of, of freaks and weirdos to hand out. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> we handed them out all around the school. That was all anybody talked about that day in the school. So what happened to you? A little bit of information terrorism. You get, you get your hands nothing, slapped? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think they knew that I was on my way out. I you were a rabble rouser. I was a little then. bit. But where, where's the lie? I mean, and again, I have, I have school teachers in my family. And, it's, and the answer to this stuff is always more money. There's not enough money. And we need to fund the schools. And like, yo, I mean, the teachers union is one of the most powerful unions in the world. And they vote one single way and one single block. And they got kids in masks right now. And by the way, they, they don't speech impediments and things. And they don't want to work either. Well, remember, like in Chicago, whenever they yeah. don't actually want to go back to COVID mm -hmm. was a perfect excuse. I mean, so do they really care about the well-being of students? I don't think they do. I think my theory about that is that that class of, of person. And again, I have some standing because I was raised by teachers. I have teachers in my family. Uh, that class of person fancies themselves to be white collar workers. And I think this COVID business has woken them up to the fact that they are getting a bit of a raw deal because knuckleheads like me are out there making six figures or whatnot mm -hmm. in, our, in our PJs at two o'clock while they're chasing 30 kids inside a, a, a prison, a, a nine month out of the year prison for these kids. And the, the, other, the other part of it is that I think a lot of people are having this malaise about the whole American project right now. If you believe in America, you believe in the, the ideal of the melting pot, you believe in the ideal of democracy and voting and the sort of civic national religion, which is what Obama was the signifier for. Correct. If you believe in all of that stuff, then you will sacrifice your life to teach these kids. We don't give teachers very much status in this country. We don't. They're, they're paid all right, but they're not paid great. I mean, it's enough, but it's not great. But if you believe in that thing and you really like kids and you really, there are good ones. I'm not, I'm yeah. not painting with too broad a brush here, but I think a lot of people are just looking around going like, what, what are we even doing here? You know, I want to actually, you, you, you made me think of something that Alan Greens, Alan Greenspan, former chairman of the fed talked about was um, how the workforce change where, you know, all of these smart women want to become working professionals has really altered the course of education. And he was talking about how whenever he grew up, and I don't know when this is probably back in, I mean, the guy's a little bit older. I mean, probably like in the 40s, 50s, maybe even who knows, 30s. But he was talking about how he had all these very, very smart women that were school teachers because there were really only a couple of vocations available. They could yeah. go be like a nurse sure. or they could go be a teacher and most of them stayed at home. And so now what we've done is we've completely worked around and we've changed the type of person that's going to go into public education. And those women now are going into, they're going into tech. They're being, that's a great now, point. And, and some of it, I mean, like, look, there, there's some great doctors. I mean, it, it's not all bad, but it's really affected the quality of education and the quality of person that we have that wants to go teach our kids. Hmm. That's changed over time. 
Yeah. And the kids aren't getting fed. <laughs> no. They're being fed human pet food. These are, these, these are babysitting, babysitting centers yeah. that look like prisons. That's what it's become. you got to watch The Wire. What is that? Is it season four, The Wire in the public school? I think it's season four. Yeah. Good. It shows it. They talk about that a little it's bit. It's the whole yeah. season is set. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the police officers, a couple of the police officers, uh, get driven out of the police force. They go to work in the schools. So okay. The whole season is focused on these these kids. Cool. I think it's season four. It's three or four. Yeah. Well, we're gonna have to check it out, guys. I want to um, you know pivot a little bit here and move on to something else. I want to talk a little bit about um, you know right now. There's a lot of talk on Twitter about what's going to happen in 2024. Are we going to see, is, is Donald Trump going to run again? And it's, you know, by all accounts, it looks like he will. Or is Ron DeSantis going to make a play for the presidency? Now, somebody that lives in Florida and actually moved here, you know, partially because I saw all of the tailwinds behind this state. And I saw DeSantis, who really, you know, trial by fire, whenever COVID broke out, the guy pushed back. You know, he was really the only governor that was willing to take a stand, Um you know, I, I wouldn't say Abbott in Texas did anything close to what DeSantis could do. But DeSantis really was a beacon of hope and freedom and not allowing this to run roughshod all over his state. Um, but the question is, is he, you know, he's 43 years old. Uh, his wife is fighting breast cancer. She's just started chemotherapy. We don't know what stage of breast cancer she has. So it, it could be something that's easily treatable. Uh, it could be something that's life-threatening. We don't know. But by all accounts, you know, she's, she's fighting, right? Should Ron DeSantis be looking to run in 2024? Is that going to be his time? Is this going to be a, you know, like remember Chris Christie in 2012 decided not to run. His star fell. You know, the whole Bridgegate thing happened. He never came back from that. Tried to run in 2016. He got run over by the Trump train. Never been the same since. Um, is Ron DeSantis, is, is 2024 his window in time? Is, is it his I think it'll be 2028. Oh, you think it's going to be 2028? Yeah, yeah, he needs to hold down the fort here in Florida and make sure this shit, uh, all these uh, refugees from Texas and New York don't <laughs> turn it into the, the liberal cesspool where, like, where they came from. Well, having, having, so I think he has to be, do a job and be very vocal to all these, these new asylum seekers and tell them that they have to assimilate very quick and efficiently. Or else uh, this shit is going to go tits up real quick. Mandatory Scarface screenings for all new arrivals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. No, so, uh, but let me ask you this. Do you think he's seriously considering a run or do you think he's going to stay in Florida? I think he's going to stay in Florida because he hasn't even made that much hints, like, publicly, so. Yeah. I mean, what he's doing right now is really nothing. I mean, he's just managing the state like a boss. And he, you know, he's recently... Um, you know, did a get together of a bunch of, you know, more conservative right wing Twitter influencers and had them to the governor's mansion for steak and cigars. Uh, one of one of our good friends actually attended that and was really impressed. But, um, you know, I, I can't know everything. He's not going to. And I wouldn't ask him to tell me everything. Right. Um, even if he did, I wouldn't be you know talking about it here. But it looks like he's looking to rally people around him um, that, that are, you know, that are, you know, really packing a punch. I don't think there's any question he runs, whether it's in 2024 or 2028, like Village says, but a good question might be who's his running mate. I guess it would depend, mm -hmm. right? But let's say he runs in 2024 Village. Who, uh, who, would, he, who would be his running mate, do you think? Hmm. Maybe uh, 
Who's the most pen? Um, I don't know. Maybe a Marjorie Taylor Greene he would choose, or maybe uh, one of the people uh, Trump chooses. How Trump would? I wonder about the is it Christine Nome, the the governor of uh, South mm-hmm. Dakota. Mm-hmm. Is that her? Mm-hmm. I don't think that would quite work. No, numerically, no. but, but it's an interesting just, idea. You're asking a good question. She was pretty, but she was based. I, I, she, I want to come back to something <laughs> though. Is that we don't really know who his political allies are yet. Mm. So with Trump, you know, somebody yeah. that's been tried and tested and yeah. been through hell, right? You know, over the last five or six years, someone that lost hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, you know, and been his name has been dragged through the mud, his family's been torn. I mean, and it's going to continue on for the rest of his life. That's what I tell people. This will be going on till he's dead. He's going to have to encounter all kinds of shit. Um, but we know where Trump stands. We know his strengths. We know his weaknesses. With DeSantis, we don't know that much other than what he's done since 2018. And he's done a hell of a job. But we don't know who is really, I mean, is he a GOP establishment guy? Is he going to pick somebody that's like, you know, an, an establishment shill, a rhino? Or we don't know that yet. I mean, I, th- I don't think so, but it, it's t- time will tell. Well, there's always that calculus that goes into it, who, who the VP pick is. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know that much about DeSantis uh, personally. Yeah. I don't live in Florida. So. so do you think Trump is you think Trump is running? Again? Oh, man, I don't know. I think I don't know if Trump's ego prevents him from running again. Uh, I, I think I think that he might. I yeah. think he might do it simply because it it is the most Trump thing to do would be to run again. Yeah. I mean, that seems obvious. Yeah. Well, he was on the golf course the other day and this clip circulated on Twitter where somebody was saying, and this is the 45th president. And he takes a step back. He said, and the 47th. <laughs> it's pent up. So I think I, I I mean all signs lead to I, I think he's gonna wait for the midterms to play out. Yeah. Which should be a, a red wave. And I think after that happens, I wouldn't be surprised for a declaration and then we're gonna see a crazy couple of years leading into twenty twenty four. I just election. want him back on the bird website, man. Yeah. Just him <laughs> want him back. Want those tweets back. Yeah. I wanna watch the the people who just stock his tweets for notifications. These yeah. lunatics in Brooklyn or whatnot who always try to be the first person to respond to him with this bile. Oh, there was one Just guy particular. Free. Who was the one guy? Jeff? What was his yeah, name? He's got yeah, the glasses. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember. Tedrick. Something like that. Jeff Tedrick. Imagine making that your entire life. Well, these people were getting like hundreds of thousands of followers. Sure, there. true. I mean, yeah. that's talk about a great grift. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. know if they could actually monetize it, but I know what you're talking I'm about. I'm sure. I mean, we probably got a book deal. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Publishing. Probably. <laughs> All right, He's guys. even better than the public school kids. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, listen, we're going to take a little break. We're going to come back and talk about some other interesting topics and uh, give us a few minutes. Thanks. And the base brotherhood is back. We're going to continue on with the conversation we were having outside during our little break. We're talking about population control and the many different forms and, and how that can happen. Um, I'm going to let village wellness kick it off. We were, he was going on an epic rant about um, (laughs) dogs and cats and how women have, you know, they look at pets now (laughs) as, as kind of like children 
And, uh, you know, we're actually looking at the park, you know, uh, off the back balcony and how the dog park is about four times larger than the kids playground and a lot more busy. <laughs> yeah, this fucking dog park is, is packed at what time is it? It's seven at night. It's like 50 degrees. It's cold as shit outside. And you have all these <laughs> fucking low lives playing with their stupid fucking dogs talking with other fucking low lives about how great and cute their other stupid fucking dog is and you know what it's an absolute travesty and you know what's funny is that you can hear the dogs eating in fights on the hour <laughs> yeah and i can even and i can even hear these fucking jappy karen pre-menopause it's they're already there oh hi <laughs> yeah, like i can already hear their fucking annoying screeching about their dog all the uh, why can't there be so passionate like that to have a, a family of, of four kids or, or, or something good? This this little pooch over here is gonna die in a couple of years, and what are you gonna do? We get another one? No, I totally oh agree. My God. And, and and you see the amount of money and time people. I mean, people. I, we know folks that have an entire Instagram channel for their pets, and it's got like five times the following of their personal account. And they spend a lot of time curating that Instagram and here's the pooch and here's all this stuff. I think it's like, it, it's insanity. I, I, I really don't get it and I don't want to get it. They love their dogs more than themselves. Or, or even more than, than their human relatives. I wonder if those dogs eat better than the public school kids going back. <laughs> yeah. I, of them you know, you know yeah. I don't know about eat better, but I think they these dogs or, or other pets nowadays by these childless millennials or whoever you want to call it. These, these pets are, have received more love and attention than most foster kids will ever receive. There's something to that. Yeah. Fur <laughs> baby so hater. Sad. This is uh, some base 69 has entered the chat. This is some based zoomer talk here. Yo, Which really? we love. <laughs> hey, I, look, it's it's pretty heavy. Yeah. And then, this, then they yeah. let their sorry to interrupt. But then they oh. let their dog lick them, and then they kiss them on the mouth. They kiss the dog on the mouth while that dog has been licking the ass of twenty other <laughs> dogs, licking the piss on the floor, smelling the shit. And then here they are saying, "Oh, I love to kiss my 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 child with fur, my furry child with paws." Oh. Bitch, shut the fuck up. Yeah, oh, yeah, you, you, yeah. you know, I, I've always thought that, um, you know, pets are for children. Yeah, that's really. What, that's what I thought too, right? You get the dog when you have the kids in the yeah. yard. It's part of the thing that That's how it was for picture. us growing up, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 But now it, it, there really has been a humanization mm. of, of dogs and cats and pets. I to think where... that goes back to Disney too. I think Disney has done this sort of weird anthropomorphizing of the animal yeah. on people. I think it yeah. goes back into their films and their, uh, the cartoons and all the rest of it. 101 Dalmatians was one of my favorite. Dalmatians is a great film or yeah, Lady that, and the Tramp too. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. there is that weird kind of crossing over of, of these animals as, as human. This is one of the reasons, uh, they, the academics talk about bodies. It's all about bodies, right? Well, animals are bodies too. So right. it's this great leveling of the, the human and the animal which of course degrades everyone, degrades right. humans, but it also degrades degrades the animals because you're denying them their fundamental animal nature. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, whenever I, you know, we, we're here in Miami, which is a you know a tropical climate, and you see a lot of people here with huskies, and these larger, long-haired dogs, and I see it, and they're they have these beautiful dogs, large dogs that have a lot of energy, a lot of pent-up energy, village wellness. And they're keeping them in a one or two bedroom apartment. Ugh. 
I remember one of my friends had a husky that he would keep in a cage while he would go to work. And this, this, this poor animal, I mean, it was really a form of torture. Yeah. And I remember thinking, dude, what are you doing? Like, you shouldn't have this animal. So you come home to for a few hours at night, and it makes you feel good. But she's chomping at the bit. She wants to run free. She needs a yard. And you're doing this to her for your own comfort? I don't get it. I've never gotten it. But we see it a lot in Miami, and I just I disagree with it, man. How, I mean, how pent up do you get when you see these these fucking low lives push these fucking dogs in a stroller? Oh, like that does some, piss me off. Like, what the fuck is that 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 fuckery right there? Like, come on, like, what, what mental illness is that classified under? And who who even started that bitch ass trend in the first place? Yeah. I, well, we were. I guess it goes back a long ways, right? Um, People who push oh their dogs God. around in a stroller are definitely first in gulag in my future. <laughs> if we're going to have gulags, we better be in control, guys. Don't let the other guys. Right, have yeah, it. you got to yeah. you got to be yeah the first to the gulag. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, but let's talk a little bit more about population control. You know, one of the one of the things we were hitting on earlier is, you know, population, you know, the, the human population getting too big has been talked about for hundreds of years, even thousands of years. It's always been a concern that we have too many people, we don't have enough resources. And, but I, I think we're reaching a really uh, critical inflection point. And Elon Musk has talked a little bit about this, that we are you know, running out of people. Like the birth rate is plummeting all over the developed world and even countries that are developing, considered developing world countries, I've seen dramatic fall off in their birth rate. And I think COVID has really accelerated that along with every other trend, hmm. right? But people are just, you know, electing to not have children, whether it's, um, you know, it's fear about the economy, whether it's just selfishness. And it's careerism, yeah. the economic uncertainty, which of course is fake. Uh, Wars, no, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, the, and also the psyops, like the sex in the city psyop type oh. thing, where they sell you entertainment, but in fact, they're, they're, the true sale there is a lifestyle. They're selling you an image yes. of a lifestyle. Uh, all of that television is just a real estate deal by another name. They're trying to get you into these IQ shredders, these big cities. Uh, it's the premise of the great dystopian film, Idiocracy, is that you have a scenario where after two or three generations, the, the so-called best and the brightest wait until they're in their mid or late 30s to start having kids. And then uh, I suppose what you'd call the hoi polloi, um, not to be too Malthusian here, but, <laughs> but I mean, you know, you've yeah. seen idiocracy, right? That's the premise. And then yeah. the few generations, the IQ is the, the mean is, uh, has shifted 10 points south and it's over. And then you have yeah. this managerial class that controls everybody from, from on high. Well, and they're really, you think about the movie Elysium. Mm. You think about Great a movie. elite Gattaca. society of people that are living off the planet that still have a traditional nuclear family, right? Right. And so they're playing a whole different game than everybody else. And, of course, Matt Damon's character is caught up into the dystopia that is the planet Earth. And, you know, I, you, we really can see that kind of a scenario happening to where these people, these elites, you look at the Pelosi family. I mean, go. you look at the Romneys. I mean, they're, they're yeah. not they're they're having plenty of kids. They're living a traditional life. This is this has been pointed out that the the degeneracy and the alienation that is sold to the plebs, the peasants, uh, is quite um, in contrast to what the elites actually do for themselves. Right. The, the value. One of the things I say is that there's no like one thing that is overemphasized is the richest person in the world. 
it's not people who are the richest people. It's families yes. that are the richest people. Absolutely. And that's something that's never talked about. And you right. move to New York from the middle of nowhere like I did. Uh, you start encountering people who manage the finances for families. Yes. And it's just not, it's the middle class doesn't think that way. And that's by design. Right. Well, yeah. I think about too, in my experience, great point, that, great point. you know, having raised money for a startup, you know, you're looking everywhere and you encounter some really interesting people and these families, you know, there's family offices all over the country, you know, and, and I live in Dallas, Fort Worth for four years. And I think there's something like 400 family offices that are set up a lot of oil and gas money, commercial real estate, you know, finance, it runs the gamut. You've got 25 or so known billionaires in Dallas, Fort Worth, but that's not, you know, that that's like that the, that's on the Forbes list, right? But there's so much clandestine wealth that people don't know about that's hidden in these families. And Bloomberg is always looking to find them, but it's very, very hard. They're secretive. And if they don't have, you know, public company holdings and it's a private company, it is shrouded in secrecy, and you don't really know that. And these families are, you know, they're low profile, they're low key, um, they don't seek any kind of notoriety, they don't want to be in the public, but they control so much, and people just don't have a lot of experience with that. They're consuming, you know, you know, legacy media. They watch Bloomberg. They think Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos are the richest people in the world. It's not even close to the reality, right? I'm inclined to agree with that, yeah. yeah. And then we consume media that reinforces this old attitude toward family, and we revere that, and we think it's incredible. The Godfather, it's all mm -hmm. about family. Sopranos, it's all about family. Billions, etc. But then the way that the average middle-class normie lives is just you're on your own right? Uh, out there. And I think that's a tragedy, and that's, that's something that as we move forward and, and start our families and have our families, I think we need to be intentional about Flipping the script on that, this idea that at 18, get out of the house and get a job. Get the, what are you talking? It's a disaster. No, we, Go get a job at Starbucks. You're 18. What are you doing? This is your child. Yeah. You need to support your child. You need to make sure they inherit. They're up against like ancient money. Right. entrenched crystallized ancient money we're not even talking about like the long tail of that just families that have a measly 10 million dollars a right. measly five million dollars right. and people from where i'm from the the americaners with a k out out in the midwest and wisconsin and minnesota and the dakotas and all the rest are just now i think really beginning to grok how history has not ended and how right. we are we are confronted with a reality that is a bill of goods that we've been sold and we didn't even really know we signed. Think about how stupid it is. And, it, we, and I got into a spat recently with Jesse Kelly about this. And all of the you know, right-wing Twitter that <laughs> all of I my friends. That. And it was, it was yeah. a crazy exchange where he basically said, hey, I'm going to kick you know, my sons when they turn 18. They're out on their ass. They're on their own. They've got to go figure out how to make it happen. But he's being disingenuous. Because what kind of situation do you think his kids are going to be you know, availing yeah, themselves they to matriculate versus into anybody else. or something. They'll, yeah, they'll I mean, they're, they're going or, to have a much yeah. easier road than most people will have. So he's sitting here flexing. I've done a good job raising my sons. I'm this tough guy on Twitter. And, and, and you know, they're going to be out there and have to figure it out on their own. It's bullshit. You're, they are going to have opportunities that most kids would never have. And you're going to make sure that they have those opportunities as you are obligated to as their father, as somebody that's done well. And you should do that. Absolutely. You, you know, and his whole thing was, oh, well, you know, go go to an RV park. 
and you can go become the best salesperson at an RV place, <laughs> and you, you can make $150,000, $200,000 a year. So yeah. everybody's going to go sell RVs, sure. become the highest commission salesperson, and that's what you should do whenever you're 18, 19 years old, right? Right. It's a load of crap. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you think about this is really something that's permeated. You know, I think about, you know, my background. It was a similar thing. It was kind of the school of hard knocks. And when you're 18, get out there, go to college. And, you know, you got to make it happen for yourself. If you're and I just want to say this to anybody out there that's probably not listening, if you're a boomer of means. But if you are, <laughs> you need to help your kids out. And this is something that's really it's an epidemic in America. I would say kind of middle American thinking to where, you know, the same opportunities that were there for you as a boomer are going to be there for your kids. No. Yeah. If you have the, if they, if they want to go to college, then go, go buy a property, go buy a rental property that your kid can be in for four years. And then you go lease it out and sell it to somebody else. You know, maybe a lot they, of people do that, and but they, not. And, yeah. Yeah. And they should do that. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a, that's a realistic thing to do. But you look at other um, you look at other groups of people have been way more savvy in how they've helped, you know, usher their kids out into the world and yeah. given them, you know, kind of a longer time frame because everybody's different. Some kids may be ready at 18. Others, it may take longer. They take a lot longer in Europe, don't they? Europe, they're not out at 17 or 18. No, yeah, they're still there by the 24, 25. It's, it's really not a big deal. Yeah. It's it's more of like a, a chill. So like Europe, there it's not really a, a rat race to make money out there. Yeah, that's obviously you you have the rich types that are in the hedge funds or or in those uh, rich law firms or, or companies like that. But in the most part, it's it's a really low back, uh, non competitive lifestyle. Over well, they, there. they have yeah. a real safety net. Right. Yeah, they have they have a real safety net, and uh, they don't they don't really. It's not really a, a corporate. Uh, takeover in europe as of here everything is it's like a, a piece of it's like a, a there's it's like a starbucks or a burger king on every corner it's <laughs> right. not like over there in europe they see those things and oh hey hey kid why don't you go work over there no it's not really like that if they do work they work it's it's always the family business it's always that's where they usually one do big red pill job. I had was when I realized and this was around the recession and Obama and everything was when I realized when they were talking about the GDP because they obsess about the GDP. I just realized all they meant was just more strip malls. Yeah. And it's like a roadrunner cartoon. It's a hoax. Yeah. Ch yeah. Chipotle, CVS, Walgreens, Starbucks, Chipotle, CVS, Walgreens, Starbucks. And then you move somewhere a little further south and instead of Chipotle, it's some other chain. But if you dig, it's the same people. It's Cisco. And it's just a different facade on the same garbage. Right. And it's just, if we're not careful, that's what America is going to look like from coast to coast. It's just going to be, you will, you'll never leave Walgreens. Yeah. I mean, it's already happening. Thank God Miami's a place that's been a little bit more resistant to that kind of chain infiltration. Yeah. But I think one of the things that Village Wellness was talking about, and I've, you know, spent a lot of time with them is, and I know this is how he lives his life, is there's an enjoyment. In, in how he goes about things. I'm not addicted to stress. Stress will kill you. That's what the the satanic overlords want is you to be pent up and uptight about their their little boxed in cage they put you in. So yeah. you try to avoid that mindset or, or anything of those outcomes as much as possible, and you live your life. I haven't got sick once during this whole scandemic bullshit. I live my life. I do what I have to do to get by, and 
that's probably about it. Trying to bring a little of the European uh, lifestyle <laughs> to South Florida. Yeah, man. The, yeah. the joie de vie. They, they will have you live in a state of fear your entire life if you allow them to put you there. Yeah. Because that is how you can be controlled. Right. And I can just, I'm not going to do it, but I could go back from the time I turned, you know, 15, 16, and just run down like a, like a bad book, chapter by chapter, every bit of fear. What about um, Islamic terrorism? Are we still afraid of that? Is that still the exi existential threat, or is that over? I think Trump uh, showed us that's another PSYOP. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, like like for example, nine eleven. They blame. The post have moved. They blame. Well, they blame these poor Arabs who live in a tents in the middle of the desert that don't have a pot to piss in on 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 orchestrating that huge uh, mastermind of event. They blame those poor those poor Arabs, and you know who really do it. You know, you know who did it. This portion of the podcast has been redacted on the orders of the Department of Defense. But listen, I think there's a lot of people, and this is a real challenge, is we present the information. I remember having talks about this with my family, family members, friends, and they just don't want to go down that road. It's too Because painful. it's too unsettling, it's too painful, and they'd rather focus on politics and who's going to get elected and who's the yeah. best politician. It's a load of bullshit. <laughs> Vote and I'm harder, sick and Normie. tired of it. I think everybody is here, right? Like, we've had enough of this crap. Yeah. But it persists to this very day. And the question is, when do people have that point with everything that's happened over the last two years, all the way up through 9-11? And even we can go way back before then, right? Oh, sure. Kennedy. When you talk Kennedy, about Kennedy really was the death of American innocence. For us, it was for our generation, it was 9-11. Yeah. But for the previous generation, it was or the. Yeah. Well, can you imagine what it's like living through a decade where a president's assassinated, gets his bl brains blown out in a, in a, in a, in a motorcade? You know, where his wife is basically, I mean, just to be completely honest, like in she's a Lincoln. picking up pieces of his, I mean, seriously, like picking up pieces of, yeah. his, Horrifying. of his brain. Yeah. And you think about a few years later, MLK is killed. And then his brother. And then his brother is killed. Mm -hmm. And Reagan, they, they all in that, someone. all in the 60s. That yeah. had, that, that was kind of, that had to be the beginning of the end, did it not? Yeah, American I mean, innocence. people who are historians of of that period in of America really do talk about the Kennedy assassination being the end of American innocence. So even in the nineties, you had that kind of nihilistic, dark rock and roll, savage nine inch nails, the grunge movement. Yeah. All yeah. that heaviness. So there already was a heaviness in America that, that and Vietnam and all the rest, but yeah, nine 11 was, was an inflection point for, for us. Um, I mean, I'm a Catholic man. So I mean, being raised as an American Irish Catholic, with Kennedy in the background, it's just this, it's just too painful for, for people to really, you're living, uh, surrounded by people who are in a constant state of kind of trauma. What's the origin of the word trauma or what's, if you speak Sprechen Sie Deutsch, it's Traum. It just means dream. Well, we're living in the American dream. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's something I've, I've been thinking about recently is you know, about this country. And, and, and I, as I've traveled the world and heard other people's views on America, this is still such a young place. Yes, it is. I mean, we've been around 250 years officially. I mean, it was really a country even before the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. Um, but it hadn't been formalized with any kind of documentation. Then we had to go fight for it and get independence from England. But it's really a very young piece of, you know, country and just the people that are here it's only been a few hundred years well, when you go over to when you go to other countries you go to europe you sure. go to the middle east yep you realize this Wakanda. is this is nothing this is absolutely wakanda 
<laughs> took me a second. I can't get in because I'm not. I don't have the shot. <laughs> well, okay, lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you, you, that's a good point. But I think one thing that um, people talk about now in the discourse about America is that re- America has been reconstituted a number of times, right? You've, yeah. you've fought this revolution. Then, if you talk to some certain people about the civil war they'll say it's been illegitimate since then you've got Mm -hmm. people who hold out about that and whether you're sympathetic to that point or not uh uh, is is beyond beside the point um it was sort of a reconstitution of the of the country at that point there was a civil war that was fought shortly after that you had the creation of well not shortly but within within a lifetime you had the creation of the federal reserve and the removal of the fiat currency Mm -hmm. that was a revolution as well it was Uh, and so it's like one of the things about america is that they'll teach us this revolutionary history like there's some sort of meaningful continuity and it's like, well, I'm looking around, and I don't know if the Constitution is worth the paper it's written on. Right. Uh, it, it's a lot like the toilet paper everybody was rushing to get at the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> if it can't protect yeah. us from having our kids um, indefinitely masked in schools and service workers and and the the untouchables, and I and I, I don't mean that I'm being um, cheeky here, but like people who have to work with people, if they're indefinitely masked, indefinitely behind these plastic guards, that Constitution is not worth a goddamn thing. And this is coming from somebody that is, you know, on the right, whereas, you know, you have you know, the left that's basically working around the Constitution. You look at what's happened in the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, it's been, you know, shit on a million times. But you, we come back around at the same place, yeah. which is that if this document isn't worth the paper it's written on. As soon as they. It's, it's a relic of a time begone. Yes. And I, we're not going to pay it any attention. We're just going to pay it lip service. What are we going to do? I, we, we definitely need to protect it uh, and, and what it stands for. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and then you think about simple things like the income tax. You can't, you can't tell me that the America that existed prior to the income tax is remotely the same country in effect as the country after. We're permanent rentiers to the state Correct. as a consequence of these taxes. There's a fellow going around right now on Twitter. He's, he's been, being shown on Twitter. He's like an old timer. I assume somewhere in the the South or maybe in the Ozarks or something uh, or the Appalachia. I don't know where he is, but he's got one of these long faces. Very, he looks Scotch Irish and he's a little he's an interesting looking dude, an old old timer. And he's talking about how they kicked him out of his house because he doesn't want to be on the electric grid. He He didn't want to use the sewage. He didn't want to do any of that. He wants to opt out of all of it, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, volunteerism, and they will not let him do it. And if you show that to, uh, Jefferson or Washington, they would say, we failed. Mm-hmm. We failed. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, was, I was actually talking to uh, somebody about that the other day, that if I were to you know, take one of the founding fathers and we were going to go walk down you know, through Wynwood and they were to look at the graffiti and the trash and the broken windows, they would say, Did I, is this hell? Yeah. Am I waking up in hell? This can't be the same country. Yeah, the, the apocalypse already happened. Did the Native right. Americans win and take over? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a tricky one, man. Well, I'll tell you what, yeah. they have some, they, they're banking on some casinos. Well, you know. <laughs> some of them. Yeah. Some of the, some of the upper tribesmen are, yeah. have done very, very well for themselves. Yeah. I, grew yeah. Up, I grew up around a lot of that. My folks worked on the reservation. My stepdad still works on the res out there. Does he really? Yep. In Minnesota, they have. Uh, in North Dakota. In North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yep. And yeah. uh, people don't know about any of this. You have levels of poverty and uh, infant mortality that are comparable to right. sub-Saharan Alcoholism, Africa. drug Alcoholism, use. abuse. And we're talking drug use. We're not talking designer stuff. <laughs> we're talking sniffing paint and oh, ether yeah, yeah, and yeah. all kinds no, of. No, it's, you want to see some, like the real world go to um, very good people. And very based too. They wear these um, 
I like the old timers out there. They wear these hats. It says FBI, and then you get up close. It says full blooded Indian. <laughs> they, and, and, you know, these and these, awesome. these liberal normies are these libtards are just so all about the Native Americans, and it's like, well, if you went out there and talked to them, nobody has less trust for the government than them. They yeah. don't want it, you know. Not, and you can't paint with too broad a brush, but yeah. But yeah. I, th- I, I, I want to kind of come back to something that I think you've really done a good job in outlining about how you know this country has been remade many different times. Yeah. And we just kind of look at it and we go back to like 1776 and, and the, you know, the founding documents and those and that brilliant group of men that were really rich aristocrats. Yes. You know, George Washington was worth five hundred million dollars in today's money. Now, over the, the last year, it's probably a billion. He was the biggest the landowner in New York State. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not like sure. That. But he was and he was basically drafted into being president. I mean, yeah. he didn't really seek the job. Right. He was asked and basically, you know, strong arm saying, we need you to be this leader. Um, the greatest president we've ever had. <laughs> um, but you look at Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. These were really aristocrats, part of the upper crust, but men that were willing to lay it all on the line for their country. And they were assisted by you know, ragtag farm kids that believed in this idea of a country so much that they'd be willing to go through hell. And you go and you read some of this, you know, some of the stories from the Revolutionary War, it's, it's just inspiring stuff. And you wonder, does that same kind of spirit exist today? And if it does, what is the context of which it can manifest itself once again? Crypto. Yeah, crypto. Um, they should le- they should let l- open up the whole weed business. First, they want to illegal th- illegalize the drugs, and then they want to sell the drugs, tax the drugs, get a profit of the drugs. I don't even know how much money they're they're. Oh, they the love drugs. They just want it to be in a pill getting, form. Yeah, Joe, Joe Biden is probably getting a fat uh, kickback to let all this fentanyl come in through our border anyway. I mean, the, the so. reality is, is there's more foreign influence in the United States states now than there was when England, when Britain was running things. Yeah. So it's, it's, it is right. a bit of a, uh, a cocksuck. Uh, <laughs> and we're, we're, well, and I mean, we look, are, look, yeah. The, the, but our, we need our, these. Our, our politicians yeah. are a lobby shop for China. Oh, big time. That's what they are. Yeah, a lot of them. We know how, and by the way, you know how lobbying works. I've got a friend of mine. I'm not going to mention his name. He's an incredible lobbyist um, and, at a state level in Texas. And one of the sharpest guys I know, and he's actually a true patriot, but he happens to be very good at lobbying. And lobbying isn't as glamorous as everybody thinks. There's all kinds of ethics compliance and campaign reporting and things people have to do. And But he's – I've learned a lot from this guy. And the amount of money – that he gets paid, which is a substantial amount considering how much most people make. But let's say, you know, somebody's going to put him on retainer and they're going to pay him, you know, $10,000 a month. He may be able to go introduce or change legislation for a large company or group that could add hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars to the bottom line. Yeah. So when you look at that as kind of a case study, and then you extrapolate that and you look at the federal government, if you're a country like China, and you can co-opt this so-called democracy and you can do deals and basically buy off all of our politicians and our corporate class. And you can, you know, it doesn't actually cost that much money. It's an incredible return on investment. Of course. I mean, you invest a million dollars, you can make a billion dollars. It's a thousand times return. We have spies in all of the universities. Uh, wasn't the, there's some professor or some head of a department in, in Harvard is caught up in all of this. Yeah, Eric Lieber. Yeah. yeah, Eric Lieber. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What's what's the deal with this guy? 
He was the guy that um, he got hired by the the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and he was also um, being paid as a professor to teach there and work there. But he was also doing all the research and and uh, genetic formulating for this whatever virus, if it is real or not. But he was the one actually getting all the U.S. secrets of. Uh, gain of function and bio warfare and shipping all of it to China and going back and forth and also bringing recruiting or they probably told him which ones to recruit the Chinese spy, spies, but he's labeled them as students. So he's basically wow. importing young Chinese spies, helping them cover for them. And this is one case that we Harvard, know about yeah. at Harvard, one school, one case, and we can only imagine how deep it goes and how far the rock goes. That is treason. Yeah, uh, they used right. to do certain See, things. Trump, to Trump was Trump was getting on all of the all of these uh, co-conspirators' ass. Yeah, before he was out, he was he was going after all of these demons, and going after anyone who was I involved in in creating this scamdemic. Right. But now it's down down the memory hole. Well, after this podcast, yeah. I will be avoiding small aviation. And <laughs> yeah, really. Don't go I on have, a helicopter. I have never had a suicidal thought in my life, fellas. <laughs> I'm going on the record. You know, they, they actually came after me when I was in Switzerland. I had a thread that got around a thousand retweets and likes. And it was a lot about like how they the modeling agencies are just a funnel for human trafficking, which is another gateway for even more, even more sinister things like breeding programs, mm -hmm. uh, gene th uh, experiments, eugenic experiments, uh, dark entertainment, uh, honeypots, uh, um, sexual espionage, you name it. I, was, I went very in-depth about that for fun as a hobby and... <laughs> <laughs> and little that kind of guy. Oh we, my God! We expose the global compromise cartel for a little yeah. fun, for the lulz. Yeah, just, just for, the, for the fun. Yeah, drinking yeah. a glass of wine and chilling. So what happened? And you should have seen the the uh, the level of death threats and accounts that went after me. It was it was surreal. Where did this surreal. happen? Was this on Twitter? Yeah, this was all on Twitter. Wow, disavow. Yeah, went after this guy. <laughs> went after this guy. He used to be. Um, buddy buddies with uh, the people very close to Jeffrey Epstein and uh, Wexner and wet Wexner and uh, Chandler um, the the woman who was seen with Gisley and Maxwell I went after all of these uh, people and you know, they, they shit oh, yeah. their pants yeah, yeah. they'll come out like, so what too. what happened yeah. did you did you were you able to stay on with that account or did you uh, no that that account that account eventually got booted yeah yeah, that was that, was that was, was the original Village Wellness. That was yeah. that was the original Village Wellness. Wow, but yeah, these people, these uh, guys, they they literally deleted everything from their Instagrams. They went dark. They they contacted my my school I was going to at the time. They found my my real identity. Are you serious? Cr real shit, real shit. These people. Yeah. So what? It's and in, in, in you're getting threats like DMs no, or. Yeah, no, not nothing, nothing too pent up in my opinion. But yeah, they they tried to swing their dick around a little, and yeah. uh, show, see uh, who's boss. But it didn't do <laughs> shit. I'm still here. I'm still alive, talking shit. So yeah, and, and yeah. You know, this is something too that you know. All this information is out there once again. You know, like yeah. you know, it, it, it's hard to find, but it's out. There. But I want to talk. So Village Wellness, how long have you? you know, been suspicious of the popular narrative? Like, how long have you been looking into this stuff? You're a young man. Since uh, 2011. 
So 2000, so 10 years ago. So you yeah. were very young. You're not even a teenager Yeah, yet. my first uh, Red Pill book was Illuminati Facts and Fiction by Mark Dice. That was okay, the first so you, okay. book. And then after that, I started listening to Bill Cooper at an early age. Lit, finished the whole uh, Hour of Time uh, podcast he did. Really, really great stuff. Yeah. You're also a big BAP guy. And we met, yeah, we met. I, I, I love BAP. I love Bronze Age Pervert. I love all those guys. Um, a lot of great people. A lot of great people in this space. Uh, God bless Michael Mason. You got to pay homage to him. Uh, all, all, village all the by greats. the Sea, baby. Village by the Sea. We're in a, we're in a Village by the Sea right now. So. Yeah, we are. I think honestly, I think we're in the best place in America right now. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Where, where yeah. the fuck are we gonna go to? Uh, some, some, uh, what, Dearborn, Michigan, or something? <laughs> Ooh, man, I went to a wedding this summer, and I it took me through Green Bay. Huh. How is Green Bay? I cheer by, for the by pack. the way, what it, is Green Bay? Because it, they Green, have a football team. It is, I've been to Milwaukee once, and I was not taken. surreal. Yeah. Green Bay is surreal, and I'm not talking smack. Good people, nice people. Uh, but I cheer for, I cheer for, and these are my ancestral, these are the Americaners, right? The the good German Americans who are erased from history. Uh, I, uh, (laughs) totally erased, bro. Totally erased. I, I cheer on the pack because they need it. Yeah. Now, (laughs) and I'm supposed to be a Vikings fan, right? Because I live in St. Paul, but. No, no, you're right. You got to find one thing for young dudes. Yeah. Get to the place. Don't let anything hold you back from getting uh, getting to the spot where things are happening. That's for sure. I've moved around a lot. I've lived in North Dakota, Minnesota, London, Texas, New York, now Minnesota again. It's a really good thing to get out. Get out. You know, I think get on a bus. I mean, there's certain places that um, they're energy hotspots. Yep. And that's why people move to Miami. They're moving to Austin, which I think is a terrible mistake. But hey, people like it, right? You know, they go to places like. I, I don't want to. I don't know how, what people see in Austin. Have like, you been so, there? No, no. Well, you don't need to go. Don't worry about it. You already get it. You don't need to actually set foot there to understand. Barbecue is pretty good. Now we were talking about this. You know, um, Austin had its day, and I still see a charm. It's it's a place I wouldn't mind going for a few days, but living there, it's it, it's just. It's a very small place that's not equipped to handle this influx of new people. Yeah. The traffic is a disaster. It's going to be some serious growing pains. And well, politically, I, too, it's going to be. There's nowhere to go but out, though. It's such a small area. Like, you look at Dallas-Fort Worth, you can expand. Houston, you can expand, which they have. San Antonio is one of the largest cities in terms of the square mileage. There's a lot of room there. Austin, there's just not a lot of room. And so yeah. they're going to have to grow outwards. But um, even then, it's going to be difficult. You so. talk about places having their heyday and their their halcyon age, and I think about Minneapolis and what a disaster it is <laughs> oh, uh, these days, really. <laughs> and I think everybody knows it. And yeah. I love Minneapolis. I yeah. really do. I moved it. Minneapolis for me was the big city. When yeah. I moved out, that was oh my god, bookshops. And- uh, by the way, I know that feeling. Yeah, because I grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas, and I remember going to San Antonio. And that was like, oh, wow, these are the people that are really with it. I feel like I felt like uh, Ariel from The Little Mermaid. I want to be where the people are. (laughs) And uh, uh, and so but I think one thing that I haven't said yet on the mic is I was there. So I was living in New York City, but I was there when Prince died. And I think spiritually there was a that was such a kick in the teeth to that area. There were a couple of things where they hosted the Super Bowl. They didn't quite get in. There was that great play, that miracle touchdown, uh, which I was in New York, and I'm not a I'm not a super NFL guy, 
but I love football and I love college football. Go go for Sukum Horns. I love college football because I think it is a a bastion of a certain reality of like an old America. That well, it's, a, aside. it's a very. I mean, we can talk about football. I played in high school, you know, middle school, high school. Yeah. And there's something about physical contact and young men letting out that kind of aggression on each other yeah. within a team environment. Well, and where it also the thing, yeah. I, and I just want to keep yeah, going yeah. here is the thing I really like about football is that it's every different kind of body type. It's it's like the big guys that are carrying a little bit too much weight. <laughs> Wasn't my body type, it's, man. It, it's it's the <laughs> quarterback. Yeah, yeah. It's the, it's yeah, the receiver, totally. and so. It's, it really incorporates all these different kinds of talents and body types into one team. It's, it is a, the most American place, sport. There's a place for everybody, and it's – I had, I mean, some of my best memories are playing football, like the, the friendships that I made. Yeah, yeah. All the different – you know, the physical toil that – you know, toll that it took on you. What you positions know, did you play? I played linebacker and fullback. All right. So, you know, I'm like, you know, 5'9", and back then I was probably 185 pounds, which is probably average. Sure. But I wanted to kill people. I and this is to, in Texas, too. So this I wanted to, like, take yeah. their heads off. Yeah, you weren't in Connecticut. Like, I wanted – look, I seriously wanted to go in and decapitate people and absolutely destroy them. Sure. You know, I didn't – you know, I was a hitter. And, yeah. some, and look, there are – a lot of people play football. There are a few natural-born hitters. And I'm talking about, like, Ronnie Lott, Ed Reed, Ray Lewis, Dick Budkus, Greg Lloyd. Like, you want to just Brian Urlacher. Just, no, sir, Brian Urlacher. Like, <laughs> I want to destroy the other guy, and I want him to think about it again, and I'm going to do it again and again and again. And you even enjoy someone putting a lick on you because you're like, okay, now I know who you are, and I'm going to be looking for you. I mean, there's something about football, and Jim Harbaugh talks about this and what's happening to football in terms of, like, CTE and, you know, parents not wanting to have their sons play football anymore. Look, it's a tremendous outlet for young men to, like, there's so much rage that young men have yeah. that you need a place to put, and, and not everybody's going to go to MMA, and no other sport can duplicate the physical impact that football has. And it's so damn important that we have a football culture in this country. We All right, need I've said college football. And yeah. you're talking about uh, the the hoax, the, the scamdemic, and how much damage is was done to the narrative when most of the country opened up and started playing those games with everybody unmasked outside saying, let's go, Brandon. Mm -hmm. That kills the narrative. Yeah. They can't keep it up. The optics are just too much. So we need it. And, of course, sports is politics. But, uh, yeah, Getting back to Minnesota, I mean, there was that play where we, we got the, the, the touchdown on the last play, and we had the dream of playing the Super Bowl in Minnesota. It didn't happen. Are we talking about Brett Favre years? No, no, no. This was uh, just a few years ago. Okay. It went to Stephon Diggs, right? Yeah. No, and no. We, I, I remember that play. It was, it was Keenum. Uh, Case Keenum through to, to Stephon Diggs? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that was just – I mean, for Minnesota, because if you're a Minnesota sports fan, you know pain. You don't need yeah. a, a dominatrix if you're a Minnesota Well, you had Kevin player. Garnett playing for the T-Wolves. <laughs> that, was, that was fun, but, but yeah, you did he win, never went all the with, way. But Kirby Puckett and the Twins I, did bring it home. I was a little too young for that, but yeah. yeah. My, my point is, um, between that and then like, because places have spirits. Places yeah. have spirits, and they're moved by the great, great men and women. Yes. And so to have Prince go out the way he did, I was visiting from New York. I was sitting in a coffee shop in suburban Minnesota, right on the edge of St. Paul when it happened mm -hmm. and I actually heard first from my friend in London that he had died. And then I looked around the coffee shop that he had overdosed. I looked around the coffee shop and you could just tell everybody it hit it, hard. It was, everybody was picking it up slowly mm -hmm. and suddenly the hive mind knew. And then that night I went down with my friend Dwayne to who's an old head like Dwayne. Dwayne is a, uh, 
is a punk from the from the eighties and the nineties. He's a black punk. He used to be punky and gothy, and he went to he saw U two at First Avenue on the War Tour. He's got all these great stories, but he saw all the bands. He was on the scene. He was a scene kid back in the day, and he's like an older brother to me. This guy, he introduced me to so much great music, and I love that dude. Um, we went down to First Avenue that that night that Prince died, and it was just the whole downtown, just mm. for blocks, was full of people. They did an impromptu concert, and that I think I think that really kicked the teeth out of that place because that 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 dude Prince. Elvis of the North. One of the most talented I mean, musicians. Just a genius. Yeah, absolutely. Next level genius. Yeah. And I just think that hit that place. And I just think I, I really pray it's easy to talk shit about other cities and things, right? Like everything's cool in Miami right now, good place to be. But I really do pray that place can come back because it needs it. It needs a shot in the arm. It needs You're something have to good to happen. deport all the third world people <laughs> oh, first. Oh, no, man. Oh, man. I don't know what to tell you about that. I live, you ever see the movie um, uh, uh, Grand Torino? Yeah, 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 yeah. The the uh, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, movie. he chooses those. Perfect. Oh man, <laughs> those are my neighbors. I live in that neighborhood oh, among man. the among people, and they're very, they're very good neighbors and good people. And the a guy from St. Paul wrote that screenplay, and um, yeah, it's an interesting place, man. I heard that they're they're importing right now two hundred and fifty Afghan uh, refugees to St. Cloud, Minnesota. Oh, no, but this, this you're hitting on something, dude. There's been a huge amount of resettlement of, of, of third world people yeah. into the middle of the country in places like Omaha. Yep. Um, but it's happening throughout the Midwest and it's it's very quiet and nobody yep. really knows about it. But it's changing <sighs> these places forever. It, it's changing the places forever. And these folks don't. Oh, my God. I mean, just try and imagine what it must be. Do like they understand to come from Somalia yeah. to be airlifted or to be resettled in friggin' the middle of Fargo, the middle of the movie Fargo, and yeah. they they don't have cars, they don't have licenses, they're taking public transportation and in places that are not set up for it. Somebody on Twitter said, only the most brain-dead liberal could think that this is like, they're doing them a favor by resettling them out in this, this place. But this is a great, because look. It's so bizarre. Like, like democracy would never work in a place like Iraq by us, because democracy has to be fought for, died. I mean, it, there's yeah, a yeah. huge sacrifice. So when you take people from like a third world developing country and you just drop them into a place that's like this developed <sighs> capitalist economy, yeah, they don't have the skills or the tools and they're not even on the same frequency yeah. to be able to do that within a generation or two or three. They're just not capable. There's of a it. certain element of cruelty to it, which the left won't acknowledge or recognize. We're talking about how difficult it is for established middle-class people to get a leg up here in this global competition. Right. And you're airlifting these people into these ruined places that are already post-industrial. Yeah. There are not that many opportunities. And then you're just, this is the cult of the American civic religion. Just right. believes that, well, we'll get them into the public schools and it'll all just work itself out. Well, I don't know about that. Well, it, it, it's it's going to be a hard lesson to learn, and unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of innocent, good people that pay a price, and we're yeah. already seeing it with some of the horrific stories about crimes being committed. On all uh, sides. It's not easy. Yeah. And those young men, uh, you know, the refugees who come in, who are ambitious and who do want to be part of America and who love America, 
it's it's all good and fine, but then they have generations of sons who are angry and alienated. Well, how would and, they feel? If yeah. how would you feel if you went over to a place yeah. and you're like, oh, this is going to be better, and it's, maybe it's a temporary fix. Yeah. But then you have to actually assimilate into that environment, into that sure. economy, learn the language with all these passive the aggressive Swedes. It's inconceivable who, who aren't even like friendly or warm with right. their own family. Well, they're going to get angry. <laughs> Take yeah. my word. They're, I mean, I mean, yeah. we talk about Minnesota nice. There's a flip side of it that Minnesotans, Minnesotans will tell you about. It's called Minnesota ice. I have yeah. friends there who move from other places. And because I'm not originally from Minnesota. And I, I love the state. I hope we do well. I hope the people um, who come do well. I, I want everybody to succeed. It's good for everybody. I have friends who, who come from like uh, New York State who I get into a conversation right away. And they go, it is so crazy when you move here. I've had such a hard time making friends. And there is a... A caginess in that culture. It's this Swedish kind of chill. It's this sort of Scandinavian frostiness right. where they want to vet you and vet you and they don't necessarily trust you. And they'll be nice to you. They're very polite. They're very nice. It's very smiley. But you're not getting invited over to the barbecue. Right. And I'm the guy who's like, let's do the barbecue, invite people over, make new friends. So I don't have any trouble with that. But it's, it is a different culture up there. And it's, there's a word actually. Oh, man, I think it's Norwegian. And I can't remember what it is. One of my friends talks about it. But it's this Scandinavian cultural norm where it's like you do not want to stand out. You want to fit in. You want to go along. You want to just be a part of the, the group. And you do not want to rock the boat. And that is very much in the legacy culture of, of the Twin Cities, which has now become a global place. And you're seeing that culture which doesn't do confrontation doesn't say it like it is won't call you out on your shit mm. will let you continue to dig the hole meet people from chicago and meet people from uh, houston and meet people from afghanistan and meet people from and it's just this complete it's a it, there's a feeling of chaos and uncertainty in the air there that is is really truly well what palpable. people can do is they can they can kind of sort themselves and segregate themselves there's a lot of that. In, in a certain neighborhood or community and be a little bit removed from it but there is going to be a point where we're going to see a clash of civilizations well i mean i think we saw that with the uh with the george floyd situation yeah. to the yeah. degree where it is not politically off the table to disband the police department right i mean like what other American city, maybe Portland, yeah. would legitimately put that on the table? Or San Francisco? <laughs> yeah, right. Possibly, I guess. I, but I don't, it's just so yeah. surreal that that's really legitimately. But I mean, you know, you want to talk about the history of the Twin Cities. People have this idea, too. Maybe I'm painting a picture where it's like a certain way and it just became that certain way. And there used to be like a halcyon ideal period. There might have been some good years, some golden years in the 90s getting into the, the early aughts and everything. But if you look back at the history of the Twin Cities, especially like, well, both Minneapolis and St. Paul, it's all mobbed up, all mob mm -hmm. shit going way back uh, in the 1930s. I think it was 1932, 20% of all bank robberies in the country occurred in Minnesota. So everybody thinks like Fargo is quirky and weird and oh, you know, it's this nice place. It's like, no, go look up the history of the mob in St. Paul. All the guys stayed there. Uh, Al Capone spent time up there because there was a, a sheriff, a corrupt Irish uh, uh, sheriff in St. Paul. I think it was O'Hare or O'Brien something. Oh, something or other, right? Um, they had an agreement uh, where it was called, they called the city Crook's Haven. And in St. Paul, and we're going to do a show or a movie, we're going to call it Crookshaven. But um, 
there was an arrangement where if you were a criminal from Chicago or from anywhere else, Missouri, uh, wherever else you were coming, Kansas City, anywhere, you could come into St. Paul, uh, declare yourself, you're a felon, violent felon, declare yourself, uh, give a little back sheesh to the police, to the cops, and then not do any dirt in the city, they leave you alone. They're off of your quarter. Yeah. <laughs> so all these guys came. And right. there's all these great, like, crazy mob stories. There's even a fellow who was uh, in Minneapolis who was, it was Kid Kid Kane or something. He was uh, tied up with Meyer Lansky. He ended up, he ended wow. up coming down here to my, uh, Miami Beach and doing more dirt and murders and all this garbage. So don't. But this is something, this is something interesting yeah. you're hearing on, is, is that the Midwestern mob is, is the real friggin' deal. Like people think yeah. about the Italian mob in New York, and they think about Al Capone in Chicago. There is some serious business being done in Kansas City, yeah, in Milwaukee, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Mm -hmm. Serious, serious business. Yep. I mean, I think a lot of the guys that were running Vegas, you know, yep. many years back. Oh, I think that's in, the it, case. It yeah, was, I think they was were in, out it was of the, like Midwest the Midwest mob, dude. Yeah. Those guys were hiding out, but they were carrying right. a big stick. So I don't want to yeah. paint some picture that suddenly everything's degraded. It's funny because the normie Minnesotans are like, I just want it to be nice again. It's like, well, it's maybe been nice for you with your house yeah. by the lake, but. Uh, well, I call it the hoping, wishing, praying model. <laughs> that's a good, no, seriously. Yeah. That, that's what a lot of people are like. Oh, God, please, it'll pass. What can we do? And they don't want to take any action. They want to keep their head in the sand and just hope that somehow, supernaturally, there's some kind of, and everything changes. And it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's not, not pent up happen. enough. No. In this current day and age, you have to do. You have to be pent up. Yeah, you do. You, you have to be like, yeah, yeah, that, that's pent up. If you, not, you're going to be left in the dust. Yeah, you've got, you, you've got to see the problem and be willing to confront it and do something about it, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right now, we see the, the nice... Uh, Gentile folk in Minnesota, they're, they're very compliant. I have uh, some relatives that live in Minnesota, like distant relatives. And yeah, everyone is very, uh, how do you say, oblivious to, to yeah. what's going on. It's crazy. I never thought that, uh, and I said this on the last episode, I never thought I would see the UK start winding down these lockdowns and the passports and Minneapolis and St. Paul ramp them, up, ramp them up. I never expected it. Not in a million years. In American, major American cities demanding vaccine passports while the frickin' UK yeah. goes the other direction? Yeah. Who's, who's more free? But doesn't that say something about national divorce is already happening? <laughs> oh, God. No, I mean, I, Make I think... Make it so. No, but it is. I mean, there's... I, there's I, th a, I think Xi just jizzed in his pants by hearing that. <laughs> you think uh, Xi Jinping wants us to have uh, Civil War II? Yeah, he's stroking himself right now hearing that. <laughs> he's, he's, he's reading his own Winnie the Pooh, Xi Jinping fan fiction and... Yeah, Had yeah. A little stroke. Yeah, yeah. He, Listen, he, guys, he's definitely having a, a, a wet dream right now. Yeah, yeah. The last thing I want is a bunch of nice boys from Middle America going to fight and die to preserve Taiwan. Yeah, true, true. I don't want to see that shit. So I don't know. Taiwan is a different scenario than Ukraine because they actually make all the semiconductors and yeah, they have well, and, I mean, look, and they and they store all the gold from the the the, the Qing Dynasty. All those previous Chinese hmm. dynasties. Where do you think all the gold was shipped out and hidden? Taiwan. That's is, why China wants to take Taiwan back so badly because all those extremely thousands of thousands of years old relics, gold, you name it, any, anything, it's all hidden in in the under in, underneath a mountain in Taiwan outside of Taipei. Wow, real shit. No, I, I believe it. And um, you know, China is working on stockpiling their gold reserves. They're continuing yeah. to add to that, while um, we don't really 
even think of doing something like that. We just want to go ban cryptocurrency and <laughs> raise taxes, right? Yeah. But anyway, Oof. well, guys, listen, let's take, a, let's take a little break. I want to come back and talk about the power of cryptocurrency and what people can do in this new reality to improve their lives because there's steps they could be taking. And Village Wellness is somebody that's done this at a young age. And I want him to share his story and what he's done by um, seeing the power of Bitcoin and other cryptos. And um, he'll share a little bit more with us here in a bit. Pent up activity. Yes. We'll be right back. back based brotherhood episode number eight lead pacer here with kevin couchman and village wellness so we want to start off our last segment talking a little bit about cryptocurrency and it really being probably our best option in um, not only for our personal financial success but also for opting out of the system and there's going to be so many great things that come of that but i, I want to kind of Pivot to Village Well Village Wellness, who has been in crypto for several years. He's a young guy and somebody that saw the writing on the wall way before anybody else. And I want him to talk a little bit about when he discovered crypto, what he invested in, and why he invested in it, and all the different trials and tribulations he went along. Because guys, I'm telling you, it was not an easy thing to do back then. It was very, very risky, and he got a lot of shit for it. So V dub. So it was early 2016. Um, believe it or not, uh, if you want to, the first place I ever did a Bitcoin purchase was Israel, if you want to. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, it was actually, I remember the first place I bought Bitcoin was, I was right uh, in the Sea of Galilee. Wow. Believe it or not. So, yeah. what, so what happened, man? Like, why, why, um, why then? Why, why would... I don't know. I guess the Holy Spirit came into me and said, <laughs> listen, there's going to be a satanic takeover in the next coming years. Hmm. You have to prepare yourself uh, financially for what's about to come. And my child, you, you are prepared for it. So <laughs> so how old are you? Are you like 16? Yeah, I, I, was, I was like 16 back then. Yeah. Yeah. So Just how, how did you... In, like? Where did you have money to invest? How did you invest? It was all the, the bullshit I saved had in my savings i never touched uh had like a couple thousand dollars yeah in my savings so did you go all in right away or yeah it... yeah 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 i fucking i fucking yolo that shit as these people <laughs> would say so um, what what exchange did you use to get uh to buy? gemini you use gemini and you yeah. still use gemini yeah i still use gemini why do you like gemini because that's the best and i think they're the only exchange that doesn't send your shit to the irs so that's good in my book yeah, no, I agree. KYC AML is. Yeah, is, I don't is think not... I don't think they have a government contract with uh, IRS like Coinbase does or other companies. Yeah. So, um, what made you? I mean, so you know, there's a lot of cryptos out there. What made you decide that Bitcoin was the best option for you? I was uh, very woke about the Federal Reserve and all that shit. There was a great cartoon I watched uh, back then called The American Dream. It's a it's a great 30 minute uh, cartoon educational documentary kind of kind of satirical and i was i was like yo this is this is it this, 
this makes perfect sense. If if this isn't the the cure to that satanic fellow reserve, then I don't know what is. So I went I went all in. I went balls deep in Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, and uh, a few other cryptos. But those were the the three ones that that really uh, got me pent up. So. No, that's awesome. Long, so t tell me, tell us short. a little bit about, so this is like a risky time. And I remember, um, you know, I had heard about Bitcoin for a while, but I remember in 2017 and 18 is when we saw that huge bull run. And I was living in Dallas at the time. And I remember there was a flood of people that were trying to like open funds and get involved in it. And so, um, but I mean, then very quickly it went down again. And then all of that enthusiasm was gone. Yeah. So for you, did you buy in at a good price? And what? Yeah, I actually, when I bought it, it was actually a very low, believe it or not. It was the bear market of 15, 16 uh, just ended. The bull run, the previous bull run was in 2014. So, but that was the, the, the bear market was just uh, coming to a close. Prices were still very low. And every I was, the first guy I actually, I was listening to uh, who I thought, was amazing you know this guy called amir rosich great guy i think he, he's in canada but he, he he really educated me and helped me uh um set myself up with this crypto stuff was he was he was a great mentor uh watched a lot of his videos um and he really just um set the stage of how i should go through this uh crypto through about about crypto and that's why I love doing this podcast with you because I never heard of Amir Rosich. Is his name? Yeah, yeah, Amir Rosich. Yeah, I never a heard A M E E R and then R O S I C. Okay, yeah, Amir Rosich. That's someone that I'm going to have to go look up. So, whenever you did this, did you broadcast it to your friends and family, or was it something you did quietly? Well, in the beginning, I did it quietly. I got into my positions. I was uh, put everything, all the money, and all the money I had. It was mm -hmm. like a little over ten thousand dollars. Wow! And just uh, <laughs> sat on it for a year or two, and then boom, that ten thousand dollars is over, over three hundred. Then next thing you know, I bought Dash when it was only like eighty bucks. <laughs> that, and then yeah. watched that shit pump to fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars. Holy shit! So were you trying to evangelize other people? Like to because well, you, you you knew something other people didn't. Were you telling like your friends, famous, saying, "Hey guys, you got to get in." Yeah, and yeah, yeah, ba yeah, a, a little. Yeah, I wasn't crazy about. It. I wasn't that that jerk off telling everyone, "Oh, buy crypto, buy the uh, oh Doja, oh this is a revolution." You know, I literally just went about my own business and yeah. told people if whoever was interested, yeah, this is what you should do. And ninety five percent of the people, uh, yeah, just said, "Okay, cool," but didn't do doing anything yeah yeah and it's something too where you know i'm sure you got a lot of shit for it yeah whenever yeah, whenever especially you know, from my my boomer family yeah yeah because because <laughs> things went up and then they went back down and they're probably like hey dude what's this all about you yeah. know like i mean because you're telling and it goes up and so that but it was a very pretty short window from when it went up to it went back down again so what were your emotions like as all of a sudden you've made more money than you could ever imagine and then all of a sudden everything goes down again. What, what was that like? You know, um, just, just hold and, and keep, uh, buying. That's, yeah. It's literally, uh, what I did. Yeah. And just stay quiet. I was, I was the quietest person during the eight to 2018, 2019, uh, bear market when it, when it comes to talking about crypto with others. Yeah. You, 
you wouldn't even know I did crypto. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's a smart move, though, guys. Yeah. I mean, like, move in silence, right? Real G's move yeah, in really. silence. But after that, obviously, when the euphoria comes and all the pent up energy is is in effect, obviously, you're gonna tell the people who uh, told you it's stupid to go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Get yeah. wrecked, loser. Stay yeah, poor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have fun staying. Ha- yeah, poor. have fun staying poor. Yeah. Go abort yourself, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so listen, you, um, you know, so you bought like you played around with a number of cryptos, but I yep. know you particularly love Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. You also l- really like Litecoin. Yeah, and like then there's Bitcoin. another one too. I forget that. What was it called? Uh, amp amp. You're yeah. a big amp. amp. Yeah. I was, I was in on that under uh, a cent. Yeah. And it went up to 10 cents. So why, so. why do you, so you like proof of work and you think, so what do you think about like proof of stake and, Proof of history and these other. Th- Why do yeah, you like proof of a, work? It's a bunch of you know all this proof of stake stuff. How cool it might sound. It's a it's a bunch of mental masturbation, in my opinion. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, there's all these infinite ideas these fucking dweebs come up with with like zero muscle mass. Yeah. So sounds cool. Doesn't work as Trump would say. Yeah. Well, there there's a real physiognomy problem in crypto, and yeah. I was joking around on this group chat that I'm in about how. If there's ever an elephant elephant man looking founder, bet the farm on that guy because it'll probably moon. You know, when you, uh, we look at some of these guys, they're just it's the antithesis of what we we look at in terms of like masculine leadership. A lot of these crypto guys are just bottom of the barrel. Weaponized I mean, autism. Yeah. I mean, they're dysgenic. Yeah. You know, physiognomically challenged people. Like, sure. What's that? What's yeah. that fucker like Ben Weiss? You know, that guy? No. Well, he's just one of those like BitMEX traders. He's probably like a little like a year a little older than me, but he is a giga simp. You want to talk about Giga Chad? This guy's a giga simp. <laughs> like he's out here like sending tens of thousands of dollars to these fucking Oh man. OnlyFans bitches. Like what the fuck are you doing, man? Like seriously, man, help some, go help feed some, some go kids. to Haiti and feed some starving children. Go, go Do feed something some with your fucking life. kids in New York. Yeah, seriously. My god. Yeah, but long story short, yeah, I got into crypto in like early 2016. Um, did a lot of research, did a lot of just uh, internet sleuthing. Um, really simple, you know. Yeah. So, so you, so you know, you've done well. This bull run's mm-hmm. been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know, you're gonna hold on to. You know, you're you're not a seller, from what I understand. Like you, you hold on to your assets. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I'll, you all could always sell if you want to buy something or spend some money or pay some mm-hmm. uh, maintenance expenses for my place or yeah, uh, ta- uh, more, whatever expensive bullshit. But, so, so now, so you know, yeah. you've, so you're a real estate guy. Oh yeah, now I'm yeah full on real estate. Yeah, guys, this is really good advice. This is somebody that has you know been in crypto a long time. He's holding. But he's not just riding on crypto profits to fund his lifestyle. He's looking for other ways to hustle. And, um, you know, he's working on some big deals right now, you know, here in Miami. And he's expanding his network of contacts. This, I, I've, he's one of the most aggressive guys I've ever seen. I mean, he's, he's, he'll go knock on doors. He'll harass people. He wants to get deals done. Mm-hmm. But so what is it about real estate that appeals to you that made you want to go into that outside of crypto? Well, it's, um, how do you say, it's very... Uh you could work on whatever schedule you want, whatever time you want. It's not really, um, you're, you're not really on anyone else's time or, or, or pay. No one, no one is paying you anything. If it's like literally those with these, uh, online nomads or whatever, it's like, it's your fault if you don't make any money. Right. 
it's totally on make, you. It's all, it's, it's all on you. Yeah. So it, it's, you know, it's, you, you have your own, you, you control your, your fate. Yeah. So, you know, you, you're on, you're on Twitter. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it, is it something where you want to develop online businesses or is it just, I'm going to, I'm going to keep no, stacking I'm on crypto. Twitter. I'm on Twitter to shit post. I'm on Twitter to look at QAnon threads. I'm on Twitter to look at some red pill health threads, um, to look at the news. Yeah. Listen to look at what BAP's saying, you know, all, all the good shit. Yeah. So, I mean, this is something that, you know, you got in earlier, but is it still a good time for people to get in the market right now? I mean, if you're like, well, if you're, if you, okay, not financial make that clear, advice. guys, this is not financial advice. This, yeah, this yeah. is not financial this advice. Is, this, don't, don't ask me for any help. Okay. I don't have, the, <laughs> I don't have the patience anymore. I'm very burnt out from telling a lot of people what to do. And, you know, it's like it's a lot of fatigue on my mind that I simply do not need. So. If you want to learn about crypto, there are lots of resources to do it. Yeah. Uh, right now, I would argue that the, the play is probably more degen coins uh, if you want the big 100x gains. It depends on what you want to do. I, I know you didn't ask me the question. I would just say if you get into a legitimate crypto community, most of it happens on Telegram. Try to find people you can trust. Don't try to do it on your own. Sounds like Village had a mentor who helped him along the way. If you go on your own, you're going to get wrecked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I could say a mentor, but just like a like several very high, very very intelligent, uh, well disciplined people. I would just use uh, to to gain information from. Yeah, yeah. I really do like that approach too because I think there's I see something on Twitter about people that are seeking a particular mentor, like they want to find one person that's going to groom them, take them under their wing, shepherd them and show them how the bread is made. Here's how the world works. And it's very, very hard to find somebody like that in today's world. So what we have to do is kind of synthesize the best from people online, people in our direct network that we can meet with personally. And it's, it's oftentimes not one person, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a variety of different sources, some of whom people that, you know, influencers, great minds that you found online, and then hopefully you can find a few people in your personal life as well, right? Yeah, that, that, that give off the same uh, ener energy and, 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 and wavelength as that, that you find compatible with yourself that you think is, the, is a necessity to get you through, uh, through whatever. Yeah, someone that really has your best interest in mind. Like, they're not trying to sell you something. Yeah, they're They're, they're really not, not trying to benefit. They're just like, hey, I like this guy. We're vibing, and I want to share information openly back Yeah, like that Amir Rosich guy. It's like he was never trying to sell anything. He was literally just uh, speaking his mind, his opinions of crypto and, and the world economy in, as a whole. Yeah. Like, really, I, I've never remembered him seeing him shilling any ads or coins or any bullshit like some people do. Right. There's a lot of them out there. Yeah, yeah. And they're exposing themselves right now. Whenever the market kind of goes dry or it takes a dip and you see these guys still, sh you know, shilling bullshit. They get really quiet. They get really quiet, don't yeah, they? Yeah, and then the market turns up and they pop back up for sure. Yeah. Projects pay them for real. Yeah, yeah. And, there's, and I think there's, I think I know who you're thinking about, but there's a number of guys out there that have done really well. And yeah. we were talking about that guy earlier that's selling, you know, uh, relocation services for seven and eight figure people. And how much money does he make versus being a YouTube channel versus mm. his actual, you know, business that he's trying to, you know, sell to other people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I said this on the last episode, just my two cents on this is don't invest what you cannot lose. If you can't sleep on your bag, you've already lost. 
Right. For real. I mean, if you're mortgaging your house or uh, tapping grandma on the shoulder and bamboozling her, <laughs> right. don't do anything like that. Take money you've made, money that you'd throw away in, in Vegas. Right. You got $5,000 for a wild weekend in Vegas with the boys. Take half of that, and that's your crypto bag. Right. And now, again, if you're looking for real moonshots, you're probably not going to be getting them on the major exchanges. You right. need to be buying uh, meme coins, new, new coins that are launching on the Ethereum chain. You need to vet them heavily, learn what that's about, set up a MetaMask wallet with some Ethereum, and be ready to ape into something where you can turn $1,000 into $100,000. It's right. not going to happen with Bitcoin. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, you know, Village Wellness is a unique situation with someone that had great foresight and great timing and, uh, you know, placed his bets and has really endured throughout, a, you know, a tough bear market. And, but, you know, I, I just want to give him a shitload of credit. For sure. For, for not only having, you know, the uh, testicular fortitude to hang in there, but also to go into an industry like real estate. Like this is a guy that really understands what's going on. Not everybody's going to be able to do what he's doing, but it's a great example of you know somebody that that bet big that went all in but didn't just rely on that and decided i'm going to broaden my skills and go into something that i really enjoy that's how to do it yeah for real take that money and do something with it uh how did you not sell it at 5x at 10x did you just believe i i kind of just used it as a piggy bank you know like if i needed to buy anything like there that's that's where it was but i really didn't sell any big uh portions of what i got yeah. Now, so, you're, so your yeah. life like a year and a half ago was very different or a year and a half, two years ago. We think about like in March of 2020, whenever COVID hit in all markets, like liquidity evaporated, right? Yeah. There was great opportunities to buy. You had to be in an entirely different place than where you are right now. Yeah, yeah, really. I totally, totally different uh, state of mind than where I am now. Yeah. I, I don't even... I can't even remember. <laughs> yeah. It's a memory hold. Yeah, you yeah, are. Yeah, you're really. crypto Jesus. Yeah, you you were born again as a crypto uh, guy. Yeah, it was like wow. It's like after hearing so much bullshit on CNBC of how it's like a tulip bubble and it's finally coming back. You know. Yeah. yeah well, it, thank God I'm still here. Yeah. I Not, mean, look at it. People. Are I didn't get liquidated. I didn't blow up in my account like I know some people that did Bitmex and. Trade leverage. Re revenge traded and uh, fucked everything. Did you yeah. did you ever leverage trade? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, actually, believe it or not, like, I was actually pretty good at that. You yeah. know why? Because I always, uh, if I did leverage trade, it was always at a very calculated moment. It was never. Yeah. Aping in into shit. green never, never aping into the yeah. leverage. So would you, were you looking at charts or was it more of just kind of intuitive instinct from having known the, the business, you know, the industry for a little bit? Yeah, kind of both. Okay, so you were like, but, uh, looking. I would say it's more like I'm more of a fundamental analysis guy. I like to trade off what's going on in the world. Right, kind of like macro themes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Especially with this Joe Biden motherfucker. Oh my yeah. god. Well, he's been he's been good for you know crypto in terms of pumping people's bags, I guess. But yeah, but the reality that we're living in in a Biden world is not so great, right? Yeah, we're having it's like a bad some, trade off. Some adult diaper. Uh, yeah. I don't even want to imagine how <laughs> bad these diapers smell. at Biden. Uh, weekend at Biden. You ever seen Weekend at Bernie? Yeah. That's what we got going on But to on go here. back to real estate, you know, like <laughs> the real key is right now with the market being so volatile and hot and everything, you have to find the off-market properties. You yeah. can't rely on the MLS anymore. You can't rely on the online listings, you know, because all of that shit is so, um, so ordinary and so basic. It's like 
the the returns you'll you'll get are like so minimal after taxes and all this and all the government shafting it's really not worth it the real worthwhile things right now in this market especially miami you have to find it's basically inside information basically inside of nancy pelosi to the max <laughs> pelosi yeah. pilled yeah, yeah pelosi pilled. Yeah. perfect well, uh-huh. it, it kind of sounds a little bit like, you know, if, if you're on a major crypto exchange and you're buying these blue chips, you know, like there's two, kind of limited upside. But if you can find the stuff that's, you know, if it's pre-sale or it's just been listed or it's a very small market cap, that's kind of what he's doing almost. You got to like find the small caps, 10 to 30 million, yeah. and you got to buy after mm-hmm. the first pump is done. You got to look for volume. You got to look at the team. They don't have to be doxxed. I heard a story recently. There was a project on Federal Reserve where they were doxxed and the CTO turned out to be a crackhead. He dumped like (laughs) I saw that one. He dumped three million dollars on the community. And they had the these are these ex banker guys. They had the audacity in their announcement about him to make it about mental health and how people need to reach out. And this is a token that pumped to like a dollar fifty and is now trading at like two pennies. Oh, just an absolute yeah. rug. By the way, that's 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 the new cop out. Yeah, mental, it's mental health. health. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I mean, like anything that we said tonight on this podcast. Yeah, that may be a little bit, um, you know, a little bit something that we should censor, guys. It's just because we have poor mental. I health. had a very rough we're childhood. A, yeah, we're having a really <laughs> rough time right now. Yeah, so please, yeah. just yeah, don't yeah. just no, forget I, about I, it. I blame all these, all the mental health bullshit on all the seed oils. On all the high fructose you know, corn syrup, all the corn syrup, all the sugar, all the soy, you know, just think about how back then or even in the 40s, 50s, everyone cooked the foods with tallow or or no, no, no glyphosate in the grass. For real the, butter, real lard. real butter. Your yeah. body is taking all those minerals and nutrients going to your brain. Now, let's say some some overweight schmuck today goes to McDonald's or Wendy's or wherever. The Crisco oil, the 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 GMO Bill it's Gates, the, the GMO Bill Gates potatoes, yeah. Yeah. the 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 pink slime beef, whatever the fuck, same shit they feed the yeah. kids in the cafeteria. Guys, you know that yeah. I, I remember hearing that you know McDonald's, you know beef, you know burger patty. Humans, you might have thousands of different cows. Uh, uh, you will see man-made horrors beyond your comprehension. Amen. You will Amen. live to see. Was that Tesla? Yeah, Tesla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you will live to see hor- man-made horrors beyond your comprehension. Yeah, we live that. We live that. I, I think we are. Yeah, guys, listen. I, I got one last question to kind of wrap up our night. So we, you know, we've covered on a variety of different topics. We've been all over the map. I hope it's been hugely entertaining to the audience. But you know, the future of crypto is it is it something that can liberate us? Can we un you know unlock the chains and our shackles? Is it is it the future or is it just is it is it you know kind of has its place it's something where you make some money i mean what does the future of crypto look like maybe because that's like a very similar question to when i was asking myself in like 2016 2017 if bitcoin could even reach 10k right when it was only like around like a thousand or something um yeah i so maybe yeah maybe maybe when it finally finally hits the, the mainstream or even gets more involved in our in our current society yeah how couldn't we see that? But right now, it's still uncertain. Just like yeah. back then, uh, five years ago, it was uncertain that the prices would go up. Now the prices have gone up. Now now the next uncertainty is whether it's going to be useful or not. Right. So there's different like periods or phases of Yeah, of phases of adoption. And I think yeah. it's, you know, it's been a great speculative trade. 
a great store of value, but, you know, and also the currency of the internet. I mean, people buying NFTs with Ethereum and Solana and various chains. But for me, I think it's when it's real world adoption. Whenever we can go to the grocery store, convenience store, we want to buy real estate, buy a car, or we can use cryptocurrency to conduct those transactions. That's when it's really hit the mainstream. My personal view is I think it's inevitable. I, I think it's yeah. programmed. Because I, I think the technology is the, there. Yeah. The, the, the energy is with the young people. And that's really what we want to, what the show is all about, is we believe that young men really are the future. And they're telling us the future before it happens. They're giving us insight. And they have a certain kind of energy and aptitude and enthusiasm that gets a little bit harder. Life's beat you up. And so we want to listen to them. Village Wellness is one of those guys that, you know, he had his ear to the ground and he acted on his instincts and it's really worked out for him, but he's diversified his, um, you know, his interest and in the things that are, you know, his revenue streams and what he's doing with real estate. And we want to encourage everybody else out there to do the same thing. And with that, guys, any last thoughts? I just, just yeah, yeah, go, 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 go after you, after you. Guys, young, gun, young guys, whoever's listened to this, man, just give it a try. It doesn't hurt to bust your balls and go, go out there. Who cares if you, you think you're making a fool of yourself? Just do it already. Like, who, 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 what do you have to lose? Go out, do whatever, wherever the fuck. Okay, maybe you might be in some buttfuck middle of nowhere uh, landlocked place in America, not Miami. But still, <laughs> give, it, give it your best. Find a way to get here. Find this a, is where you want to be. Find a way to make some fucking money, okay? Semen retention. Make yourself a fight or flight mode. <laughs> pure, pure blood semen is going to be at a premium very yeah, soon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pure so. blood semen is the next uh, board ape uh, NFT. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, shit. The last thing I have to say is uh, if, a, if a condo mysteriously explodes in Miami. Oh, yo, know, let me talk about that real shit <laughs> real quick. I know yeah. who to come for. You know the Champlain Towers in Surfside, how it mysteriously yeah, collapsed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know why? You know what was the reason? Tell me. That was that was John. Faulty Ma engineering? Nah, CIA brought that <laughs> shit down because of John McAfee. That was that was all related to connected to John McAfee. Per I have inside sources who are in the real estate who knew who lived in who in that building. So what did he? Did, what? he, did he have something? He owned unit? he owned a unit on the seventh floor. Mm -hmm. On the seventh floor, and he used that. I think it was like a two or three bedroom, um, but he he retrofitted that that condo unit and turn it into a server hardware wow a facility a server was he, farm was he ever physically yeah. there because he didn't spend much time in the states did he no at, at no he pro obviously probably had people running it but yeah. listen so they they kill him in that spanish prison okay yeah. that day and that day of or the night of building collapse 2 a.m in the morning out of all the times a building could come down, it comes down at 2 a.m. when everyone's sleeping, so no one could suspect Well, him. dude, I remember when that happened. That was, that was a, and, and he even said, remember McAfee was talking about before he died, he said, I have a dead man switch that if yeah. anything ever happens to me, I could release tons of information about the CIA doing drug trafficking with the bah Bahamian government and other government entities. That was where his dead man switch was. So that dead, man's, that dead man switch was killed. It was it was erased. Yeah, they they yeah. took care of it. Yeah, they took and they didn't give a shit if they had to kill two hundred innocent people. And yeah. if you want to go into more occult aspect, it happened on a full moon too. Now full yeah. moon energy. So it was full so moon was energy a, is different. Full I mean, moon no uh, sacrifice. Yeah. 
Yeah. And and you know Joe Biden, that son of a bitch. <laughs> he put he there was also reports on, on that very night, on that same very night. Real talk, real talk. This is the best kept secret in Miami. There was uh military exercises, military operations. There was ships, military ships like three, four miles off the coast mm. of Surfside, testing test doing ultrasonic testing, ultrasonic technology testing, artificial earthquakes. Amazing topic. boggles your mind. Boggles your mind once if maybe in twenty years this will finally surface. But yeah, that that's what went down. And yeah, and they and it was already a faulty foundation to begin with, but they used that ultrasonic tech. Boom. And if you saw the footage of the collapse, it all came down in, in sync and all at once. What else does that remind me? What what other buildings did I see come down at once? No, there's a lot of yeah. people that have that that have that same theory. I mean, I was certainly getting a lot of videos of it, different like different views of it when it happened. And I, I will tell you the guys, I was just moving to Miami. Yeah. And I'm thinking, shit, are buildings just falling down here? No, 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 no. I no. mean, like what's right down know? the memory hole. Yeah. Yeah. See you see how it's down the memory hole? Already yeah. forgotten. Yeah, yeah, John McAfee, yeah, they poor guy. He had his server farm in there. But he was a, by the way, John McAfee is is one of my heroes. God I have binge watched dozens of John McAfee videos. Mm -hmm. And he was the one guy that really got the power of cryptocurrency. Yeah. That we've been given an opportunity with it, but are we gonna squander it and let it be co opted by legacy financial institutions the and by IMF the government? And all those fuckers, yeah. Or what are we going to do? And that's really, that's the question that has yet to be answered. Right, Kevin? Crypto uh, is the key to the door to exit the Federal Reserve U.S. dollar slow rug plantation. Mm -hmm. But you have to be brave enough to ask what's on the other side. Well, we're going to find out, guys, because it's because a day of reckoning is coming. This decade, we're going to find out, does crypto have the final say? Do we exit this financial system or is it is it corrupted? And we're going to be right back to where we started. So, guys, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. Kevin Kautzman, go follow him on Twitter. Where, Kevin? Where else can they find you? At Kevin Kautzman, at Art of Dark Pod. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty good. Moderationplay.com. Village Wellness, thank you for joining us. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at uh, Village Wellness, but uh, with a two at the end instead of a second S. So, yeah, but just Village Wellness. We got to get going too real fast because there's a meeting down by the docks that we got to get to, right? <laughs> I think we're going to the same meeting. What yeah. meeting? What meeting? The meeting down by the docks. For what? Oh, oh yeah. Off yeah. camera. Off mic. Yeah, yeah. I, we have some liver to sell to the <laughs> Chinese government. We have some human organs from these, uh, from, these from these Haitian refugees to give, give to the CCP. Take the gun, leave the taco. So, so they're 90-year-old uh, decaying... Uh, Communist Party members could still uh, breathe another day to fuck some 13-year-old. <laughs> oh, boy. And with that, Base Brotherhood, episode number eight is a wrap. We'll talk to you guys soon. Over and out.